Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of the Cubs TV network as the Cardinals just get shellacked last night, 10 to four. They're not able to complete the sweep up in Wrigley. They are now 13 and 25 to start out the season. It's not what you want. Alex, the issue is very simple here. They just don't have the pitching, man. As much as we can talk about the offense and yeah, Nolan Arenado is really struggling. He's going through it still. He's batting 230 on the season. Dylan Carlson, he even with the quote-unquote better stretch since he's been your everyday center fielder. He's he's just really not doing a whole lot offensively right now. They tried to go bat for defense last night with Juan Yepes. And let's be honest, Juan Yepes had a good game. One for two, scored a run, took a walk. He's not very good defensively, though. And we all knew that was going to be the case going into it. The truth is their pitching is not good enough. When you have a starter that is your best guy in Jordan Montgomery, and he goes out there and gives you five innings, and he was laboring to get you through five Gave up 10 base runners in those five innings, allowed a a total of six earned runs, gave up a couple of long balls. That's just not good enough, man. And this is not to put everything on Jordan Montgomery. He is a symptom, not the root cause. This entire rotation is not and has not been good enough for them to be able to to sustain any sort of high-level play. Well, the good news for the Cardinals is they took the problem out of the lineup and off the field so that the pitching can improve. So now that Wilson Contreras isn't back there and then he's learning next to Dusty Blake on the bench, the pitching's going to improve when he gets that recall. I looked up some numbers last night, Alex. I started the transition to uh, to going with not full-time, but more of Andrew Kisner on April 29th. That was the day that they started putting Wilson Contreras at DH more often and putting Kisner behind the plate. It was about a 50-50 split for like eight games and then eventually we know what happened. They completely took Wilson Contreras from behind the plate. On April 29th, the Cardinals rotation ERA was 5.0. Since then, it is a 6.3. On April 29th, the Cardinals bullpen ERA was 3.9. Since then, it is 3.9. This is like super small sample size theater. Those numbers can be inflated before and after by one bad start or one bad, really bad appearance by your relievers. 
It's not to suggest that Wilson Contreras is a great defensive catcher. He's not. It's not to suggest that Wilson Contreras will solve all of their issues in their rotation. He won't. But it's very clear that he wasn't the problem with their rotation. You scapegoated a player who was supposed to be a massive piece of your team into the reason why you're struggling and you're still struggling. And it's not just because of him. So this was the part that I was worried about, because now how awkward is this when Wilson Contreras goes back in and the struggles ensue? You can't sit there and act like, oh, well, we thought we figured out the problem. Well, the problem is the pitching. And look, people were screaming this from the mountaintops to us throughout the offseason and through spring training. Eno Saris, our good friend of the show, had told us multiple times that this pitching rotation is not good enough. It's good if you want to compete in the NL Central, but if you want anything more than that, it's not good enough. And I pushed back because I thought a healthy Jack Flaherty, I thought with Jordan Montgomery's full season, with what Miles Michaelis accomplished last year, that's a hell of a one, two, three punch. But the problem is, it's what Ali has preached. There's no swing and miss stuff. You have no swing and miss stuff. You have pitch to contact. And the issue is, when players know how pitchers are going to throw to them, they're waiting on those certain pitches. That ball that was smashed out of Wrigley Field last night, I think it was a hanging ball by Jordan Montgomery, they were waiting on it. They were waiting for that pitch because they just know that this team likes to pitch to contact. And now you're seeing... There's no ability to sustain a long winning streak for this Cardinals. You might get three, but at some point, the pitching is going to crack and then you're going to get pushed back into reality. Yeah, to your point on that, this was tweeted out yesterday. St. Louis starting pitching ranks 28th in swing and miss rate. They are 22nd in fastball velo. They are 29th in BABIP, which is batting average on balls in play. So basically, when you put a ball into play, how often does it result in a hit it's 34 percent of the time against the cardinals now some would suggest that's going to normalize typically you expect that to be around 300 there's some truth to that but not all batted balls are created equal that's why people say you want to hit it hard you want to hit it in the air against the cardinals it's typically hit a little harder and a little bit more in the air than what you would like for it to be and with the shift this year we have seen at least a slight increase in batting average on balls in play put on the ground. So that hurts them as well. They are now 24th in Major League Baseball in starting pitching ERA with a 5.4. They are also 24th so far this year in strikeout rate from their starters. Top to bottom, it hasn't been good enough. There is no one individual player you can point to and say that is the problem with this rotation. That is the reason why things are going poorly against them. It's everybody. Guys, the teams behind the Cardinals and starting pitching ERA this year are as follows. The Colorado Rockies, the Chicago White Sox, the Kansas City Royals, the Boston Red Sox, who you're going to be taking on this weekend, the Cincinnati Reds and the Oakland A's. That is not the group of teams that you want to be combined with. Meanwhile, at the top end of this, and it's always about pitching, big boy. Big boy. It's the Rays, the Twins, the Braves, the Cubs, and the Astros. If you did nothing else and you simply looked up who are the teams that are getting the best starting pitching ERA this year, who are the teams that are getting the worst starting pitching ERA this year, you'd have a pretty good idea of who the best and worst teams have been in all of Major League Baseball so far this season. The Cardinals are no exception to that rule. Yeah, well, this rotation is going to have to figure things out. The tough part, or I guess the 
good part if you want to look out for the St. Louis Cardinals is you've got multiple guys that are going to be free agents at the end of the year. So it's not like this is a multi-year problem. At least it shouldn't be. It should be something they should be able to try and quickly fix when you're looking ahead to next year. But until you start getting quality starting pitching, they're going to be a team that is essentially a flip of the coin in terms of what their win-loss is going to be on any given night. Because right now, and Alex mentioned this, it's tough to have a winning streak when you have this kind of pitching that the St. Louis Cardinals have. It's tough to gauge the series you should win if you're the St. Louis Cardinals. Like we mentioned this, you look at their schedule. Should they go into, uh, I think they've got Cincinnati later on this month. In theory, they are a better team talent-wise than the Cincinnati Reds, but because their starting pitching is so inconsistent, it's tough to really give a read and say, you know what, they should take two or three. I don't know. It just depends on what you're going to get, and that's the tough part for the St. Louis Cardinals is right now you essentially need to score six runs to win a baseball game because they're giving up about five runs per game. So that's that's too much. That is too much to ask of your offense. And look, this offense is going to be good. Asking them to score six runs every night just because you don't know what you're going to get from your starting pitching, that's not a winning formula. They're the Blues. Yeah, I was just going to say, once again, we're back to the Blues. Blues could not sustain a winning streak more than two or three games. And every game we said, well, if they're going to win, they're going to have to score five, six, seven goals. Yeah, that was the problem. The, the problem for the Blues is that it's, it's a really hard hard life to live and when you win that way man can it be fun you can win games for the blues six four six three six five but for the cardinals same thing where you got to win ten eight seven to five eight to four and when you're doing it it's fun but most of the time it's really difficult to hit against quality pitching like last night that was always going to be a difficult path against steel guy's been awesome this year it's the first time that Steele has allowed more at least three earned runs in a game since july of last year the cardinals offense did their job against that starting pitcher they gave you an opportunity to win but because your starting pitcher did not do his job and this is not a shot against jordan montgomery he's been really good for the cardinals so far this year everybody as good as you could have expected him to be you, you had no chance to win because of your starting pitching once again. So the result is the Cardinals are 13 and 25, and that is their worst start through 38 games since 1907. Alex took on a homework assignment. Yes, I did. 1907. I don't know a whole lot about that year. I would like to learn a little bit more, though. Are you Alex? about to know what took place in 1907? And I think it's proper to have better music for oh, this. Is it? T-Bone, please. Take us in your way back, come machine, on, Alex. Come on, come on down to check out the 1907 Cardinals team. The last time that they were this bad, let's take a trip back in the uh, time machine. Back in 1907, guess who the World Series champion was then, ladies and gentlemen? Please tell me, Alex. Was oh, it the Yankees? No, it was the Chicago Cubs. And ah. the first game back... Oh, this is right around 1908. That's the first amazing. game back in 1907 of that World Series, well, it was canceled because it was too dark out. Really? When that happened... <laughs> Even better, guys, if you don't want to go watch the Cubs win the World Series, how about we go to the movies? Go the check Sody out. Shop? No, not the Sody Shop. That's an old Illinois, which probably wasn't invented back in 1907. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we were founded yet. <laughs> You're going to go back to 1907 to check out the movie theater where it's only going to cost you a nickel. A oh, nickel, no. ladies and gentlemen. That. And guess what? Some of the top films that are in theaters right now. The Dancing Pig. Huh? We've talked about how this team being that? a pig. I don't know. <laughs> the Fatal Sneeze. <laughs> really? The Golden Beetle. Ooh. And the House 
of ghosts. Four minutes. The dancing pig was four minutes long. <laughs> Makes sense that it was five cents to go with that one. <laughs> Gets even crazier, guys. Maybe it's the heat of the summer and you don't want to see the Cubs win the World Series and you've seen this fatal sneeze one too many times. But if you're going to go to that old swimming pool, you're going to jump on in and cool off. Make sure your favorite gal's wearing a mini skirt because if she's not, well, she's going to get arrested. What? Women could not swim without miniskirts on <laughs> back in 1907. <laughs> the first electric washing machine was I invented. because of how ridiculous that, that is. I want to make that yeah. very clear. <laughs> the first electric washing machine was invented back in 1907. Oh, I'm tired of going so, down to the creek to wash my clothes. So are you sick of going outside and dipping that nasty old shirt in the big pool of water? I and am. Scrubbing it on the turner? Well, guess what? Now you got a washing machine. UPS was created back in. And let's have you say you spill something inside the old house. You know, dad's drinking the coffee and you knock it all over by accident. Well, now you can use a paper towel because <laughs> paper towels were invented back in let's 1907. Go. One more big one that I think we all should celebrate in 1907. We're about to see it on Sunday. 1907 Mother's Day was invented. So all you moms <laughs> really? out there, you are just as important is the last time the Cardinals sucked this bad. It's been a minute, man. The Titanic a- had not yet sunk. The average Aww. the average age, by the way, my voice is killing me. <laughs> the average age for men was 45 and a half years old. For life expectancy? For life expectancies. Oh, Damn. man, I would be like a senior citizen. <laughs> Here are the top 10 baby names. T-Bone's in- going through his yeah. midlife crisis. <laughs> oh, no. Here are the top 10 baby names in 1907. Oh, please. Mary, Helen, Margaret, Anna. My mom's name's Anna. Ruth. I haven't met a Ruth in a long time. (laughs) John, William, James, George, and Robert. James, George, and Robert, ladies and gentlemen. You can name your kiddos that. Can I give you some names on the 1907 Cardinals? Yes, please. This is going to be an incredible roster. Hit the music again, Tanner. and clean up tonight for your St. Louis Cardinals is Doc Marshall. Doc Marshall, ladies and gentlemen, he is at first base. What's up, Doc? He is actually your catcher. Oh, okay. Oh. We've got Pug Bennett playing Pug. second base for the St. Louis Cardinals. Stepping into the batter's box now, it's Pug. Oh, Rad Murray. Rad Murray. He's going to be in the outfield tonight. He's batting 262 on the season. Heck of a year from old Rad Murray. Doesn't get on base a whole lot, though. Art. They were tracking on base back then? Art. Art scatter. He's had a tough season. <laughs> he, uh, he has two home runs on the year. We don't hit the long ball very often, honestly, on this <laughs> Cardinals team. We're more of the running Redbirds, but honestly, we don't even run all that well. Well, but don't ask Pug to run, because if Pug's running from first to second, he's going to get thrown out. Buck Hopkins. Come Buck. on out to see Buck Hopkins. Let's You're all... not going to see him very often, though. He only played in 15 games. Well, what Forrest, was his age? <laughs> Forrest Crawford. Most of these guys, as you know, Alex, don't live beyond 45, so they're typically in their 20s on this team. However... Jake Beckley. He's bucking the trend. No, Buck's bucking the trend. <laughs> Old Jakey Poo. He's 39 years old oh on this Cardinals team. Yeah. He better go enjoy retirement. <laughs> it was not even his final season. Uh, I am curious. He he lived until the age of 50. <laughs> Oh, well, so, good for uh, him. Good, good for him. old Jakey. Defying the odds. Stoney McGlynn. Ah, he was stony on those base paths. He was a pitcher. <laughs> he threw 350 innings for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, oh, my gosh. God. He was 15% below league average as a pitcher that year, despite having a 2.9 ERA. That's why we really struggled this year. Art Fromm. Is Art? Did I already mention Art? Yeah, you mentioned Art. Art? 
Unless there's two, art, there's two arts. There's two oh, arts. Man. Two arts on this what team. A what a painting. Art Fromm uh, finished with 145 innings and a 290 RA. He was the number four starter for the St. Louis Cardinals. So come one, come all. Check out the Cardinals team. Art, Pug, and Art. Better than the 2023 St. <laughs> Louis Cardinals. All right, coming up next. It's time to take Wilson Contreras out of timeout. Even the Cardinals team media said this last night. You got to hear what Jim Edmonds had to say after the game last night about Wilson Contreras. We'll let you hear it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll get to the NFL schedule release, boys! (laughs) It's out. We get to find out who's who's playing who. We can go ahead and rate the schedule. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Ferrari 05 on the five best schedules in the NFL. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't know the entire schedules yet. Just like the big games. You know, they're announcing those first, and then I think later tonight they announce the the entire game in 1907 was. I'm not going to look that up. Please don't. (laughs) Somebody on the text line, by the way, after our last segment said, guys, I'm looking at baseball reference. There is literally a question mark next to some of these guys. I think it's because they didn't know whether they hit right or left handed. Because when you look up some of the players from the 1907 Cardinals, it literally says unknown on which handedness they are. They might have also not sure like how long they lasted in the league that year. Also fair. All right, so Wilson Contreras has been a point of contention, I would say, for Cardinals fans and really for the Cardinals as well. He has been taken away from his typical spot as the Cardinals starting catcher. He's been your designated hitter for almost a week now entirely. So, Alex, yesterday I was watching the post game show on Bally Sports Midwest and Listen, we know how this works, right? That Bally Sports Midwest is in a partnership with the Cardinals. And this is not me calling anybody out. It's just the way that it works. That's the rights holder. And so you expect to watch the postgame show. And there's a reason why they lead with the positives, even after the Cardinals lose. It's the way that it operates, man. This is the way that the this is the way the sausage is made. So when Jim Edmonds, after the game last night, was critical of the handling of Wilson Contreras. I think it's pretty noteworthy, especially given, I mean, Jim Edmonds is one of the better Cardinals of the last 20 years. So I wanted to play this for you guys. I know the audio quality isn't as high as you would typically expect it to be. Truth be told, Bally Sports Midwest didn't tweet this clip out, uh, surprisingly enough. What'd you do, record it off your phone? So this is Jim Edmonds talking about Wilson Contreras and why he believes he should be back behind the plate sooner rather than later for the Cardinals. Wilson Contreras' ERA behind the plate, let's say it's five, okay? It's not Wilson Contreras' fault. Like, you're a big league pitcher. If you don't have a feel for your curveball, you don't say okay to a curveball. I don't care how much time you have, how much uh, things are going on. When the catcher puts down a sign, if you don't feel like throwing it, you don't throw it. And if you throw it, that's your fault. It's not his fault. You need to go in there with a game plan. You need to say, this is me. I need to get my cutter inside, stay on me. I need to get my curveball away. I need to throw my change up in this count. And if I'm not, tell me. That thing for me, and I don't care who says it, is BS. Maybe it's the pitch clock. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. You know what? If it is, it's still your fault because you need to make an adjustment as a pitcher to figure out how you're going to relay your signs to someone if you don't want to shake off. If you put down, if he puts down a slider and you feel like crap with your slider that day and you throw it and you throw it down the middle and it gets hit, that's your damn fault and you need to live with it. I mean, it's... 
That was intense. That is as critical as you will hear on Bally Sports Midwest about the St. Louis Cardinals. It's just you you don't hear that very often. And so when I, when Jim Edmonds says that on the broadcast, Alex, I take it to heart. And I, I think that it speaks to what we've been talking a lot about. Tanner, you had a fair, I think, retort on this whole Wilson Contreras situation where you said, hey, listen, I if it's true that Wilson is not preparing the way that he needs to, he should be called out for that. It, it should be something that is noted by the team. And I agree with that. If you're not prepared for whatever it is that you do for a living, whether it's uh, you're not prepared to go out to a job site, you're not prepared to go on to a sales call, you're not prepared to, in this situation, uh, work with your pitchers through the course of a game. Yeah, that that's not meeting the job requirements. However... I do think some of this has become Wilson Contreras is the reason why the Cardinals are struggling as a pitching staff. I don't think that's the case. And now, in my opinion, I think starting tomorrow night, you start to work him back into the mix behind the plate as your starting catcher. It's why you signed him. It's what he's going to be for you over the next five years. I think it is time now to go back to Wilson Contreras and say, hey, listen, the only way you're going to get better at this is if we have you do it. Because you sit next to the coaches, you go in through the game plan with Kisner, all this stuff. Like, that's all great. But none of that matters until we actually find out if you're going to be able to implement that into a game. There's a lot of really good test takers that when you apply that test stuff into everyday life, completely eliminated from your mind. You freeze in the moment. that. That's where they need to find out where Wilson Contreras is at right now. I thought it was interesting to hear that from Jim Edmonds last night. Look, I mean, Jim knows what he's talking about. He's played the game for a long time. He's a Cardinals Hall of Famer. And frankly, he saw the change between two pitchers from Mike Matheny into Yadier Molina. And he saw that change. Now, of course, baseball was very different back then to what it is now. But it still is the game. And I, I thought Jim nailed it on the head here when it comes to you're the big boy on the mound, and if you don't like a call that the catcher is calling, that's not future Hall of Famer Yadier Molina back there that gets angry if you wave him off. That's a new catcher. You are just as in command, and you are just as responsible to prepare for those hitters as the catcher is for your pitches. So it's a two-way street here, and the way that this went about to where it was, well, we're not pitching well, it's got to be him, that creates this one-way street. And I just... The more and more that this has gone on where Kisner's been behind the plate, and look, you've gotten a couple of good starts. Like, I thought Miles Michaelis' start was really good. I thought Adam Wainwright was better than I expected him to be. So that was something to at least be like, okay, good. But everything else has been the same. Jack Flaherty still struggled. Jordan Montgomery, who has not struggled a lot this season, struggled against the Chicago Cubs. I'm just, I'm to the point now where to sit there and say, like, well, he's not calling the right pitches two strikes that's ridiculous you've been in the league long enough to where you can sit there and say even with pitch com where you've got 15 seconds to decide if you know a pitch isn't working you go away from it and you go to the one that you're feeling right now i'm still skeptical that wilson Contreras gets in though because this whole thing started where they said it's going to be a few weeks for him to work with our staff to where we feel comfortable with him back behind the plate maybe things change when basically your pitching staff has been shown that well it's really not that it's just you guys But I'm still skeptical that Wilson Contreras gets back in. Yeah, and though I have had the different stance of, hey, he should be called out if he's not prepared well, I've said this all along. 20% of this blame pie would be on 
the catcher Wilson Contreras if it was me because most of it is the starting pitchers not shaking off Wilson Contreras or not executing their pitch even if it is the right decision by Wilson to say hey let's go curveball in the dirt you throw it over the middle well Wilson Wilson's not the guy that's controlling that so I I think they should work in Contreras honestly I, I still thought it was a bit bizarre to just make the move right off the bat of hey we're going to move away from Contreras behind home plate because I again I don't doubt his game calling is bad it's just he's not the only one. And to Jim Edmonds' point in that cut that we played, if you're not feeling your curveball, you you can either call out Wills Contreras in terms of, hey, come out here to the mound, let's talk real quick. Hey, I'm not feeling my curveball this inning or this game. Let's let's move away from it. Let's not call that in the pitch comp. Or if you just kind of battle your way through, say it's the second inning. In between innings in the dugout, you should go to Wilson. Hey, I'm not feeling my curveball today. Let's kind of stay away from it. And that's the communication that you should be having with Willis Contreras in terms of figuring out how to get away from your uh, the pitch that's not working for you. Yes, I understand pitch clock has made things tougher to shake off, and, the, and maybe you feel more pressure of, hey, i got to just go with what my catcher says. There are still ways to communicate, hey, I don't have this pitch. Let's make sure I'm not going to it tonight, or let's let, at least take an inning off before we do it. That's why I do think the biggest chunk of this kind of blame pie that's going on with the St. Louis Cardinals and why their pitching's been bad is on the pitchers themselves. I, I think 80% of it belongs on them. I think it's really interesting that the the guys that are struggling the most are the ones that worked the most closely with Yadier Molina. Like you, you look into some of the numbers of the Cardinal starters and like the, the guys that have either said something after a game about pitch calling, stuff like that. They're typically the ones that worked really closely with Yadi. And so they're used to what Yadi did. Guys, at some point, the Cardinals have to admit to themselves, Yadi ain't walking through that door. That is just not going to happen. He's done. It's over. The Cardinals have moved on and the Cardinals pitchers need to now move on. Greg Amsinger was on with the morning show earlier today. Here's what he had to say about Yachty, the Cardinals new catching situation and what this means for the Cardinals pitchers. I think Cardinal pitchers have been spoiled for two decades with Yachty or Molina, who was so invested in everything that was coming out of their hand. To me, you don't need to bench Contreras. I think you need a really nice therapist to talk to all of the pitchers and understand that daddy's not coming home. The new stepfather is just fine. Don't run away. Don't pack up and leave the family. It's okay. We need a therapist for the pitchers. I think that what we're seeing here is it, it kind of reminds me of when, like, for example, the New England Patriots, right? Tom Brady leaves. And Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. His accomplishments are unmatched and will never be matched by anybody else. When he left, they like they had no idea what to do, where to turn, what kind of quarterback to go out there and get. What what do we do now? How many offensive coordinators have they gone through since then? They thought they could do anything. Like, oh, we're the Patriots. Bill Belichick's the head coach. Doesn't matter who we put in at quarterback. We're going to be fine. We're going to win 10 games because Belichick's our coach. It's not true. The quarterback really matters, right? And they completely lost their way as a result of that because they put so much on Tom Brady's plate that they just kind of assumed that whoever the next quarterback was, well, he was going to be able to handle that as well. Nope. He's not Tom Brady. The next catcher here in St. Louis is not going to be able to handle the same stuff that Yadier Molina did, nor should he be expected to. Alex, I think with Yadi behind the plate, you could have said, like, your typical number two starter kind of pitches as a number one. Your typical number four starter can pitch here as a number three. You were able to get a little bit more out of guys because Yachty was behind the plate. You no longer have that. Now you're paying the no more Yachty tax. 
Now, guys that are threes are going to be threes for you. Look at Jordan Montgomery. Guys that are fives elsewhere, Steven Matz, uh, honestly, this version of Adam Wainwright, they're going to be fives for you. They're not going to, their stuff doesn't play up anymore. Their stuff doesn't get a boost by Wilson Contreras. And that means that the Cardinals are going to have to start spending more money. That means the Cardinals are going to have to start spending more resources on the pitching. It is going to be harder to get that high-level starter than it was previously when Yadier Molina was behind the plate. And what you just said there, the second part of it, the resources, that's where this Cardinals team is going to have to really come to Jesus moment right now because the money is one separate thing. They spent money on Wilson Contreras. I don't see this team spending a ton of money on the top-end pitchers. But this no longer is trade deadline season where you go out and you acquire John Lester and Wade LeBlanc and say, we're going to turn these guys into adequate pitchers for our pitching staff. You can't do that anymore. The last three, with the exception of Jordan Montgomery, trade deadlines have been that. You go out there and you trade for a lower-level starter and hope you can get the best out of them to give you innings. No, now it's going to be you've got too many guys and you don't have enough spots for them in terms of your prospect pool, your minor league system. How many times have we talked this season about the 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 plethora of guys in the outfield or now your infield log jam? It's time to start spending those to go acquire pitchers that you actually believe in. Pablo Lopez is the perfect example right now. We were talking about this in the office, and I know we're going to get into this a little bit later. Those are the guys that you sit there and say, we've got a lot of guys in our system, not sure when we're getting all this playing time from. It's time to go acquire a top-end starting pitcher. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, the NFL schedule release has taken place today. They're sending out some of the best games on their schedule. We'll talk about that and one team who might be losing their home for two years. Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Guys, today is the NFL's season schedule release day. And some of these games are actually super intriguing to me. You guys want to go through and we can rate on a scale of uh, 1 to 10 how intrigued we are by some of the games that have been announced so far. These are like the big marquee matchups that they've announced. No, that sounds awful. Okay, fantastic. One to ten, you tell me how intrigued you are. Uh, This is the continuation. Yesterday, they started with their international series. We mentioned those yesterday. We talked about those already. The NFL is going to kick off its season. They always do this with the Super Bowl champions hosting, and they'll take on what they deem to be an intriguing opponent. A lot of the time, it's a rematch from the Super Bowl. Sometimes it's a rematch from a big game the previous year. Um, This year, though, it's going to be something a little different. They're going to have the Lions coming into Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Alex, scale 1 to 10, NFL season kickoff on Thursday night. Lions at Chiefs. How do you feel? I put that at a 6. 
because I'm really I'm actually intrigued by the Lions. I, I think the Lions are going to be a fun team, although I just remembered that like three other guys are, are suspended for the first couple of games of the season. It's all fine. Yeah, two of those guys got cut. They stink. And yeah. one of them, Seamus and Williams. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm really intrigued to see what the Lions look like. And I think that's the perfect test to start the season for them against the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, I would put that at like a six. See, I the matchup's intriguing, but in terms of like, hey, how I want to kick off the NFL season, I'm going like a three. Like, hmm. I, I want somebody more of like a rival. Like, I want, I, I don't even know who the Chiefs opponents are, but I want like Bill's Future Chiefs. Super Bowl matchup. I, no, I, I, it's not. I, I want I want someone like a rival, like Joe Burrow versus Patrick Mahomes to kick off the season. They're doing or, that in week 17 instead. Yeah, like, I, yeah. like I'd when rather have that kick matters. off the year. I'd rather it be kicking off the year. Like the Lions, I agree. I think they're going to be a fun team. I don't think they're anywhere close to the Chiefs level, though, yet. So I don't find this matchup all that intriguing. I would have liked to have seen them do Chiefs versus Chargers on opening night. I think that that's become a really compelling series. Now, the Chiefs have owned them in terms of the final results, but every game that those two teams play ends up being really close, and it typically ends up with a late-game situation. Either that, Chiefs-Bills has always been a really good one. The Bengals, maybe you could have done that in Week 1. The difference, though, Alex, to your point, is everybody's going to be watching that first game no matter what. And so they don't feel like they need to put the best game on the Chiefs schedule in that specific slot. Instead, they'll save that until later on in the season when they're pretty sure the Chiefs and the Bengals will both be a very good team. It's hard to know exactly what this season's going to be for the Lions. They could be great. They could end up being like 7-10. and 10. I don't think it would really shock anybody. And so if you have it week one, you get the buzz of the Lions still without having any of the potential letdown there. I think I'm a little higher on this game than you guys are. I'm at like a seven or an eight out of 10. Seven and a half is where I would probably land. I think this could be a really, really nice shootout for everybody to be able to watch. The Lions offense is going to be awesome. I'm excited to see what they're going to do with this kind of newly formed offense where they've added in a couple of tight ends to the mix. They drafted a first round running back this year. I find the lines to be really interesting. So I like this one. All right. Continuing on here, the Buffalo Bills versus the New York Jets is our first Monday night football game that has been announced week one, Monday night football, the Bills against the Jets. Aaron Rodgers debut in a Jets uniform in the regular season will be coming against Josh Allen and the Bills. I can't believe what. What are you going to say? Is your three? Unbelievable. I really don't care. Are you serious? Yeah, I, I'm I, putting this at a ten. I, this, is like, this is perfect. Why? They, because I want this any better. Why? Because I want to see the. I don't care what Aaron Rodgers looks like with the Jets. It's going to be miserable. I, I mean, maybe, but if they I end up find winning, out. yeah. I, I, I mean, think it's just the like Jets Russell are the third year. best team in the AFC. Yeah, you know what AFC happened East. with Russell last year? Yeah, but I mean, it was, I was exci- disappointed it, five minutes in. Yeah, but it was exciting to see it on Monday Night Football because it was like, hey, we're going to see a franchise-type quarterback. And I mean a legitimate franchise quarterback, not like a Sam Howell-type quarterback hey. that ends up going to a different franchise when franchise quarterbacks have not been on the move except for the most recently, like the last four years. And he's going up against a division rival that has a really good quarterback that's younger and Josh Allen. Sign me up. This yeah, is a cool. you freaking guys, ten. You guys it's have awesome. fun with that. This is a three. That's insane. Uh, mine's out like what a, a buzzkill. Would rather nine. watch Moana than this. <laughs> Moana's great. Movie. I know. Uh, this is not like a nine for me. I don't think that you could have done a whole lot better in week one for your Monday night football matchup. ESPN has to be thrilled that they got this for Monday night football. Week five, Sunday night, Cowboys versus the 49ers. I think this is going to be one of the most compelling games of the season. I I think these are two teams like the Eagles to me are the clear cut, obvious favorite in the NFC. 
And then if you look at that second tier in the conference, I think these are the two leading contenders to be battling for that spot to take on the Eagles in the NFC championship game. Love this. Is that like an eight for me? Yeah. For how excited you guys are for Jets and Bills, I'm excited that length for this one. This one's going to be entertaining. Really? Because mm-hmm. I'm at like a five on this one. And people I, are texting in that I don't know football. I, you don't, you clearly just said one of the best rivalries in football probably this year is going to be a three. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, I look at the Cowboys and 49ers and though they are like the second best teams in there in the conference, the NFC is just not that good. And like Dallas, they don't like overly excite me. Same with San Francisco because San Francisco's quarterback could be like Mr. Irrelevant, could be Trey Lance. It's could hard. Be, it could be Darnold. Don, yeah, Darnold. Like I, until I know who their quarterback truly is and see how they perform in that system, it's hard for me to get excited about it because I could see where San Francisco ends up being one of the biggest disappointments of the year. I just trust them to get it figured out. Like last year they had a guy who none of us knew about prior to the season. Let's be honest. And he led them to the NFC Championship game. And if he was healthy, they would have had at least a chance to win that NFC Championship game. So I love this game. And the next one that we have announced, Week 13, 49ers versus the Eagles. As excited as I was about Cowboys versus 49ers, take that up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm at on 49ers versus the Eagles. All right, Thanksgiving Day. You guys were complaining about these games earlier. I felt like last year's. Thanksgiving Day slate was terrible. This one's, a, I think, a little better. Packers versus the Lions is the early game. Blah. Cowboys versus the Commanders <laughs> is the midday game. That one's going to be bad. And then you've got Seahawks versus 49ers to cap it off. This that one will be good. I don't even know if like if I'm excited about one of them, it would be that. But it's like a five. One to ten scale for the day. For Thanksgiving Day, how are you feeling? Because they, they have to include the Lions and the Cowboys, and that makes it a little tougher. We could like How about we put the Chiefs yeah, on Thanksgiving can, when they're playing so the Lions? We could find better teams to play against them rather than Jordan, what'd you call him, T-Bone? Jordan Backup Love. <laughs> Jordan Backup Love and Sam, are we sure he's our quarterback, Howell? Like, that's our matchups? I would probably put all three of these games at like a four because the Seahawks and 49ers are probably the most entertaining. And I don't even know how entertaining that one's going to be. I, I'm, I'm going at like a Alex two. isn't watching football this fall. <laughs> no, I will. It's just I'm not coming to be I, a miserable putting, old man. I'm putting all three of these at a two. I, I could care less to watch the Packers Damn. and Lions. The Commanders, they're a joke throwing out Sam Halleck quarterback. And I typically, even if it's a good football game, I struggle to stay up for that late game <laughs> because I'm so full on my turkey. Good luck if I'm going to catch the first half of that game. couple bottles so, of Pinot in. Yeah, the fact of the matter that I'm – the first two games are ahead of that, and the Seahawks 49ers is the last one. Put it at it, too. These games stink. You don't have to watch football on Thanksgiving. Why not put the damn Cowboys and Lions against each other? That would be fun. I don't know if they're supposed to play each other this year or not. I would have to well, check on both their schedules. Guess what? It's better than watching them play the Washington football team. I'm, I'm with you, buddy. Uh, that Seahawks Sorry, versus 49ers now. game is going to be super interesting to me. I don't know what to make of the Seahawks. I think they could be the team that this year takes that step that we're all thinking could come from like the Cowboys or the 49ers or somebody else. The Seahawks are one of those guys, those teams in like that next tier that could be compelling. Uh, finally, uh, for I would put it at like three. I'm not a whole lot more excited about that day <laughs> than you guys are on us. And there you go. Christmas Day, Monday night, Monday day slash night, actually wow. Raiders against the Chiefs. That's going to be the game that is on uh, Nickelodeon. With the slime coming out of the end zone. Oh, good. Good. Jimmy G with Nickelodeon. Yeah, Can't that wait. one doesn't do much for me. And then the Giants versus the Eagles. Again, that doesn't do a whole lot for me. Man, At least football, you got a, NFL. Yeah. Football kind of sucks, man. Quit ruining my damn holidays. <laughs> I mean, 
They these, went, these games kind of suck. They, they're leaning on divisional matchups. That's yeah, what they're well, trying to do. I they mean, should lean on something else because those all suck. I'm just going to be throwing a lot of money on DraftKings on those two days because it's awful. Yeah, I'll, I'll be going over to the FanDuel Sportsbook, playing a little bit of best ball. Like we'll, I'll probably be watching that NHL. All right, final thing here. Christmas Day. As we finish up with NFL quick hitters, T-Bone mentioned this before the show today. The Jacksonville mayor came out today and said that renovations to the Jaguar Stadium may require them to play elsewhere for two entire seasons in 2025 and 2026. This would also impact the Florida-Georgia football game that's been played there for the last 90 years. And that's whatever. That's fine. Um, the bigger thing, here, like you just do it as a home and home. You make that work. That's not a big deal. The Jaguars playing somewhere else for two entire seasons. That's a big deal. Because what do you do? Send them to London. Isn't that what... Uh... Shad Khan has won for like the last five years. And they're already playing two games out there. Yes. Let's let's play the next two seasons in London, boys. I wonder if they'll play eight games there. So they basically get a home Home. schedule in London. Why wouldn't you do two seasons of that if that's what you want? Because the travel would be brutal, man. That's why I don't know if you can even do it for a year. And like now they have a quarterback that makes them relevant. Yeah. They're going to be maybe not one of the marquee NFL teams, but I mean, one of the teams that rates, if you've got Trevor Lawrence as your quarterback, you're going to be watchable. I don't know what's going to happen with them, but man, I, I don't know where you play. I really I, don't. I think you almost have to go to like Gainesville and play, go play at where the Florida Gators play football at like, In the swamp? I, yeah, I, I don't Ugh. think you can go play. I don't think you can go play uh, overseas. Like it's too much travel. That's the only reason I say that, but I would think it's going to have to be somewhere close and it's going to have to be somewhere that is going to have a, Big stadium. Like, I think I saw the next closest stadium in Jacksonville was like 12,000 people. Yeah. yeah, like, tw- you're not going to do that. Can you not do at Tampa? the NFL level. Can you split with Tampa? Maybe. I, that's the thing that's something. tough is like, you could, you could split with one of these other NFL teams, but now you also have to take into account the practice facilities as well. It's not just the Sundays. Would you they be able to, to practice in Jacksonville and just travel to Tampa for a game? Maybe. Maybe, but that, I mean, just makes everything difficult. Yeah. Logistically, it makes everything a little bit more don't, difficult. So have a better uh, plan when you're building a stadium. Apparently. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers. Brought to you by Insperity. Do HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at Insperity.com. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Start with this from the 636. Guys, should we be worried at all about Brendan Donovan potentially being shopped around for an upgrade in the starting rotation? It feels like he would be the type of player that other teams would be interested in. I don't know that you should be worried about it, but I think right now everything should be on the table for the Cardinals, especially when it comes to some of their depth. I would want to keep Brendan Donovan in the fold. I, Brendan Donovan, for me, is my favorite Cardinals player to watch because of what he is stylistically. Takes his walks. He hustles his ass off. He plays really good defense wherever you need him to. Like Stylistically, he's just like my ideal player. That being said, he's also a lot of other teams' ideal players. 
So if he has value around the league that is higher than what the Cardinals currently view for him, yeah, he he could be on the table potentially for them. Maybe not right now, but whether it's at the deadline or in the offseason. They've think, got a lot of middle infield depth right now. I think everybody should be on the table for this team. Uh, I mean, you need to have, and I think you tweeted it out yesterday, you need to have some type of Willie Adamas move for this team, and it needs to be sooner rather than later. You can't keep preaching patience when this team can't put a sustained run in place you need to do something, and that's why you can't at this point of a season sit there and say, yeah, well, we can't get rid of this guy. Like Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, I get. But anybody beyond that, you need to start having realistic conversations. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't be upset with a Donovan move. I would understand that it. it's the cost of doing business. I mean, what I've preferred to see Harrison Bader playing in center field for the Cardinals last year. Yeah, the cost of doing business to go get Montgomery worth it. Same conversation for Brandon Donovan. And I do think they're going to whether they turn whether they turn it around and don't make the move this deadline. I think in the off season or this deadline, they're going to make a move with one of the middle infielders to free up a spot for Mason Wynn and kind of unclog the middle infield. Because for all the conversations around the outfield being kind of clogged up with five guys, it's really kind of open up to three where you've got right now Donovan out there. And then you've got Carlson and uh, Newt Barr in right field. Walker will take up one of those spots, basically Donovan's spot. But then you still got four middle infielders right now in Gorman, DeYoung, Edmund, and Donovan. They're going to have to free up a spot to get on this team by next season. Uh, from the 618, guys, are you worried that the Cardinals are ruining Jordan Walker? I think we've gone way too far on this Jordan Walker stuff, guys. Jordan Walker, I understand that the batting average looked really good while he was up in the big leagues. But look under the hood a little bit. He was hitting the ball on the ground 61% of the time. That is completely unsustainable. And if he continued doing that, those numbers, specifically the batting average, it was going to start going down. And we've seen that down in AAA. I know some people attribute this to, oh, well, they've messed with his swing and therefore his results down in AAA are, uh, are bad as a result. No, 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 no. What they're trying to do is get him up in the air a little bit more because over a longer period of time, this was going to happen. What you're seeing down in AAA was going to happen in the big leagues. And right now in AAA, he's batting 175 with an OPS of about 590. That's terrible. This is not to suggest that Jordan Walker is broken. It's not to suggest that he's not going to get better. I think he will. I think Jordan Walker is going to be fine. We just got to give this some time. I think we got all, including myself, out over our skis a little bit. The kid can't even drink yet. He's 20 years old. He's going to turn 21 later next month. So I don't think the Cardinals are breaking him. I think the Cardinals are trying to get the best version of Jordan Walker to the big league club. And that's going to take a little bit more time than what a lot of people expected, including myself. Yeah, Michael Gersh said it to us on opening day at Bush Stadium that there were people in-house with the Cardinals that weren't sure if he was ready for the big league opportunity. They eventually decided to do that. He got a taste of it and sent him down. If this was any other sport, if this was hockey and this was happening, I don't think people would be questioning if you're if you're ruining somebody's career trajectory. You're giving him a taste of it, and then you're putting him back in the minors and saying, all right, now you got to get back there. you got to work to get there. That's what I think the Cardinals are doing right now. Somebody on the text line said, guys, but even though he was hitting the ball on the ground, he was still getting on bases. Isn't that what we want? He, he walked. I mean, 
4% of his at-bats resulted yeah. in a walk. He had three walks in his entire time up in the big leagues. He had 20 strikeouts. No, he, he wasn't getting on base as much as they would want. He was chasing a lot. Yeah, he his, his on base was inflated by his batting average. And as we just said, being on the ground that much, his batting average was going to go down. His on base was going to follow because he doesn't draw walks. So they're looking for him to get the ball in the air, which he's doing better in AAA. His numbers are up in terms of getting the ball up in the air from where it was just, I think, two weeks ago. Yep. And the fact of the matter that I think he is starting to draw some walks down in AAA as well. Like, that's what you want to see. That is the uh, batter eye that they said that Jordan Walker had. And I think if this was a team that wasn't trying to win the NL Central or didn't have five outfitters on this team and was kind of in a rebuild, like the Kansas City Royals, for example, yeah. Walker would be working on this stuff at the Major League level, and there wouldn't be any conversation about setting him down because they would want him working with their Major League staff. They like what they've got in AAA. They like their staff down there. So being a team that's trying to compete and turn this thing around, the best spot for him to be is in AAA playing every day. Coming up next, there's been a lot of hindsight that's taken place over the last couple of weeks about the Cardinals' offseason. I think some of it's fair. It's fair to be critical of the way that the Cardinals handled their offseason. Some of it, though... I think is looking for a solution without that solution actually existing. I'll explain what I mean by that. We'll do some hindsight as 2020 discussion next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So what could the Cardinals have done to improve this rotation in the offseason? Got better players, BK. Agreed. I think that's kind of the common refrain from a lot of people right now. The Cardinals failed. They should have signed a starter. Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. They certainly need one right now. They they need to go find somebody that can help this rotation. The problem is, guys, and we talked about this during the offseason, there just weren't a ton of great options available for you. The ones that were out there were injury prone and they were going to cost a bleep ton of money. And so if you wanted to go out there and sign one of them, I, you could have made the case for it. We did. I, I said I would have liked Carlos Rodon to be a part of this rotation. Here's the problem. Carlos Rodon hasn't pitched yet. <laughs> so if they had pitch. signed Carlos Rodon... Right that's true, he would. They would have the exact same rotation today as they currently do. One could argue he'd have the best ERA on the team. One could argue that. But he is That's not ace. alone. Guys, I went back last night to look at all of the free agent starting pitchers from the offseason to earn at least $30 million. So basically guys that teams believed were significant contributors as starters. Here are those players and what they have done so far this year. Jacob DeGrom has thrown 30 innings and has a 2.7 ERA. He is still continuing to deal with nagging injuries so far this year. He's a guy that you sign because, Tebow, you mentioned this uh, before the show today. You sign him because you think he's going to help you win a playoff series more than you think that he's going to help you during the regular season. He has thrown the same number of innings for context as Jake Woodford so far this year. Justin Verlander. He has made all of one start and thrown five innings. So he wouldn't have fixed the problems that the Cardinals have had, at least so far in their rotation. Kodai Senga was never going to sign here, but he's been really good so far this year for the Mets. He's walking too many batters, but he has a 3.4 ERA in 32 innings. Taiwan Walker has been terrible, has a 6 ERA. 
Jamison Tyone has been pretty bad when he started, and he's been hurt for much of the season, has only thrown 20 innings, has a 6.5 ERA. Chris Bassett has been for the Blue Jays basically what you've had from uh, Jordan Montgomery this year for the Cardinals. It's been really solid. Innings eater, 4.4 ERA. Zach Eflin, I don't think any of us would have been excited about, but he's been really good so far this year for the Tampa Bay Rays. He was, last year, though, placed into the bullpen for the Phillies because they didn't want him as a part of their rotation in the postseason. Uh, Tyler Anderson, who was really good last year as a lefty for the for the Dodgers, flipped over to the Angels. He's been really bad for them. Who could have seen it coming? The one guy that I do think you can look to and point to and say, that guy would have been the solution for the Cardinals is Nathan Avaldi. He's thrown 45 innings, which is roughly the equivalent of what Jordan Montgomery has done for the Cardinals, but he's done so to the tune of a 3.2 ERA. So Nate Evaldi, that guy's been really good. We had a lot of discussions this offseason about whether or not Evaldi would make sense for the Cardinals. The answer apparently was yes. The problem is you're basically playing Russian roulette with these guys to determine is Evaldi the guy that would have made sense or would you have fallen into the category of one of these other players in a similar type of a price range? If I could be honest, I would have probably trashed the Cardinals if that would have been their signing this offseason. Because I think a lot of Cardinals fans that, would have. That wasn't, that wasn't going to fix this team, Nate Evaldi. I mean, yeah, he falls into the Steven Matz um, four or five conversation, at least on paper. Now, if he's pitching like that, then yeah, what a signing that would have been. But I also would have thought it would have been lightning in a bottle for the Cardinals where it's like, you got one good year out of it. Is that going to last for however long you signed him to a contract? Nobody this offseason in terms of starting pitcher intrigued me via free agency because it was either you've got the Elder statesmen like the Justin Verlanders, you've got the injury-prone guys like the Jacob DeGroms and the Carlos Rodon, and then you've got guys who are of lesser value compared to what you already have in your rotation. rotation. You already have those guys. You signed Steven Matz. You decided he was the Nathan Avaldi or the Taiwan Walker or the Jamison Tyon. Like, you decided that with Steven Matz, and it hasn't worked out for you. There was nobody available that was top of the rotation pitcher that was going to bring an element that you didn't have on your team. Those guys were via trade, and you opted not to move the logjam of players that you have to acquire one. From the 636, guys, all of this is based on a what-if reality. We don't know if those guys end up getting hurt if they're in St. Louis. It's an alternate reality, and you're assuming it would have gone the exact same way. You're wasting your time talking about this. I, First of all, disagree. Uh, second of all, I think that what we're seeing from these guys was a very real possibility. Jacob deGrom had known injury questions coming into the season. Carlos Redon pitch in spring training? No, he he never he like basically from the time that he was signed with the Yankees has been hurt. He passed his physical and then just boom all hell Verlander broke loose. is an aging veteran who it's ex, the expectation should be that he's going to start breaking down sooner rather than later. It's kind of like the Wayno discussion. Like we all knew there was a risk of Wayno not being fully healthy this season. Age it, it is a factor with these guys. So those were really the top three players that were available in the free agent market. And whether or not you think that this would have happened specifically in St. Louis, or if you think that maybe it would have happened later on, the point is there was real risk in signing any of those veterans. And there's risk not just for 2023, but beyond when you sign them to a multi-year contract. The one guy that does fit into your discussion, Alex, of a potential trade, because there was really only one significant starter that was traded in the offseason, is Pablo Lopez. I would have liked it if the Cardinals traded for Pablo Lopez. He's been good so far for the Minnesota Twins, and he signed an extension, right, with the, with the Minnesota yeah, Twins yeah. as well. So he could have been in the fold for a lengthy amount of time. The problem is, I think they would have required you to trade Nolan Gorman or Lars Nupar. 
And if you traded Nolan Gorman, well, there goes the guy that's been your second best hitter so far this year. If you traded Lars Newtbar, guys, this team wouldn't have a starting outfielder that you feel good about on an everyday basis. So you're robbing Peter to pay Paul in that scenario. And maybe they go replace that guy because they made the trade for a starter. They go find somebody in free agency. I don't know who that specifically would have been, but maybe they're able to, to recoup some value there. The point is the Cardinals had a starting pitcher issue this offseason. And the real fix was by getting these guys internally to take a step forward. It was by getting Jack Flaherty to be himself again. It was by finding what went wrong with Adam Wainwright down the stretch and fixing it. It was by getting Jordan Montgomery to add a little bit more swing and miss stuff to his repertoire. It was by finding a way to make sure that Miles Michaelis was the same version of himself as last year. And they failed. The, The solution was not an external answer. It was internal results. And right now they're not getting those. And I don't think there was a guy from the outside that really could have changed the results in a meaningful way. To that point, if I could address a text from the 573, they said, this is a moot point. And the moment we knew this roster needed a number one starter, you're using hindsight to prove a point that doesn't need to be made. I would have rather spent an additional 13 million to get one of these guys and not signed Wayno for the victory lap. They wouldn't have changed what we've seen so far this year. I got to be straight. If if I'm paying any of these guys not named because you're not getting to Grom, Verlander, or Radon or Senga for $13 million, any of these other guys, if I'm paying them $13 million, I'm not going to be happy. Well, they're saying not bring back Wayno. So now you've got Wayno's money, $17 million, plus the 13 to get to the 30. Basically, you're spending an extra $13 million. Well, you want to spend $30 one of these million dollars on any of these guys? There's no way. That's the thing. Those guys have combined this year, the top three at least, for a total of 35 innings pitched. Yeah, That's I, not like it, it could change what we're expecting from them the rest of the way. It absolutely could. But it would not have changed anything about the start of the season, most that, likely for the Cardinals. And, and that's the thing for me is, would I have loved the Justin Verlander signing? Yeah, I would have done the Verlander signing in a heartbeat. Would I still do the Verlander signing to this day? Absolutely. It doesn't fix the the pitching issues that you've had in the regular season to this point and what you're going to have up until the deadline because that's just guys underperforming. I, we said it all along. This was a regular season rotation. I think it was fair to kind of have that assumption as if you're the front office and say, look, we've got a good regular season rotation. How do we build this rotation to take that next step in the postseason? And they decided that 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 answer was Jack Flaherty. And Jack Flaherty doesn't look like that answer. These guys on the free agent market that we're talking about signing like the Verlander, the Rodon, the DeGrom, you're signing that guy not to come in here and take this regular season rotation to the next level. It would have. But the reason you give that guy that kind of contract, like what the Rangers did and what the Mets did with Verlander, was to help take that next step in the postseason. These regular season pitching issues, that comes from the guys internally not being good enough and not not taking that next step to BK's point of adding more swing and miss. And if you're going to be critical of the Cardinals, it probably should not be just a one offseason in hindsight they should have added to the pitching. It should be like the last three, four years. They've not been able to get ahead of the curve. Just going to say that. Either A, develop somebody internally, or B, find that, see the trend that had been going on in baseball of, hey, you need swing and miss stuff in a rotation. They had not been able to address that over the last three to five years. You, you whiffed on not trading for Zach Wheeler when you had the opportunity to. You whiffed. I mean, but then you wouldn't have had Harrison Bader patrolling center field for a while, and they wouldn't have re-signed him. Like, they, they weren't going to give him that kind of money. Well, that would have been a one-year That's fix. another problem in itself, but guess Absolutely. what? There's a guy that would have been a top-end one. I mean, you missed when you signed Mike Leake. There were guys the next couple of years that you could have gone after and signed. You missed when Max Scherzer was available to sign. Like, there were plenty of guys for you to sign at the time but you kept saying our internal options are going to be better. Yeah, and they haven't been. The one that they've really missed on so far is the Matthew Liberatore trade. Like, all roads lead back to the Randy Rosen Randy deal. 
I'm, it, that's probably too harsh, but it's true. It, because when you look back over the last few years, guys, starting pitchers just don't become available, honestly. Like, that's that's the truth, is you, you look at what they're... So 2021 offseason, Trevor Bauer, Jake Odorizzi, Taiwan Walker, uh, Gossman ended up, that was the year that he got the qualifying offer. Stroman, uh, Charlie Morton ended up getting a one-year deal that year. Like, there's not a whole lot of guys that were super intriguing that offseason. Uh, you go into 2022, and maybe that was the year that they missed out. Because then you had Max Scherzer on his deal that he signed with the Mets. I don't think the Cardinals were giving him $45 million a year, though. Robbie Ray's been bad. Kevin Gossman was really good. But were they going to give him $22 million a year for five years? I would have been surprised. Eduardo Rodriguez now looks like a great signing. But last year, it was an absolute atrocity. They weren't interested in Marcus Stroman, whether you agree with that or not. Um, and then it goes down to, like, the Justin Verlander again, and then it's finally Steven Matt. For the people that are saying Quintana, he hasn't pitched yet this season also. Yeah. yeah. And, and to your some point of these there, guys that we're talking about would have been solutions potentially for like the rest of the season. But the what we're really looking at is you're backtracking. Just, yeah, you're still in this problem. What about over the first, what is it, 38 games of the year? Would they have changed your current record? The vast majority of the guys that we're talking about, the answer is no. Unfortunately, I, I wish there was an easy one to spot and say, like, man, they really should have tra- they should have signed Carlos Rodon. He's out there. He's thrown 40 innings with a 2-5 ERA. They missed. The that prob- would be easy to criticize. The problem is this is a lot harder. You're not developing the internal options because you're blocking them from mid-level guys that you're signing to hope fix the problem. Sure. Matthew Libertor should have been up by now pitching for your team, and you're deciding not to because you want him to work in Memphis because you'd rather have... James Nail come into games late because your starting pitcher can't work or let Jake Woodford figure it out for you. Like you're wasting innings on these guys and not developing the younger ones that should be pitching for your team. Sure. My point is this though. Like I I think it's really easy to say that the Cardinals failed in the offseason by not signing a starter. Like that's an easy statement that I could make right now. And a lot of Cardinals fans would be super excited about the fact that I'm criticizing the Cardinals front office. It's a lot harder to look back and say, Okay, sure. They should have signed a starter. Which one? Where could they have gone that changes the trajectory of your year? The answer is basically one guy. If they had signed Nathan Avaldi based on what their performances have been so far this year, it would have changed the way that we have looked at the Cardinals rotation so far this season. It absolutely would have. There is no other person that I can point to within realistic outcomes and said, yeah, that would have been a game changer for them, and they missed by not signing that guy. And, and to be fair, I, I'm not sure how much he truly would change things. Because, yes, Ovaldi's been good. There's four other guys in this rotation that are underperforming. Like, the guy spot that he is taking— It helps, though, in a it, significant it helps, way. It helps. Basically, if I told you instead of having one Jordan Montgomery, you've had two Jordan Montgomerys to start out the season, and he's been better than Monty has, I think that makes a significant difference because now there's one day a week in addition to Monty starts— that you're not feeling like you have to cover four to five innings with your bullpen. I, I think there is a trickle-down effect that, to that. that. That's fair, but I, I, I'm not sure it's a significant upgrade in terms of there are still three guys that have just been unbelievably poor in this rotation. I mean, you got Matt's without a curveball, essentially. Jack yep. Flaherty can't locate a fastball. And then who's the other guy? I'm, I guess Wayno, but he just got back. Uh, or Michaelis. Michaelis has been iffy to start the year. I, I think what you made the point just a couple minutes ago, you know, they're, they're, these guys don't become available. The Cardinals are getting ready to hit to that this massive like, hey, we can fix this because you're going to have a guy like Dylan Cease that could become available. Shane Bieber, there's already talks around Major League Baseball that, 
hey, the Guardians, if they can't figure it out this year, could become available. Let's hold that thought. I want to get to it on the other side because that's where we can really have the conversation. The Cardinals' problem is not so much what they do in the offseason. It's that they let their offseason moves trickle into what they decide to do during the regular season. They don't have any urgency of fixing the problem that they have created. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We've been talking a lot about the Cardinals pitching really all season long, but specifically today. And we looked back at who the free agents were that they could have acquired. Guys, got to be honest with you. There's basically one that would have made a tangible difference for this rotation. And it was Nathan Avaldi. We thought maybe at the time they would have been interested in him. They decided not to go that direction and we didn't crush him for it. And we're not going to be phonies right now and say otherwise. That being said, we did think maybe Pablo Lopez would have been interesting. They probably would have had to trade Newt Barr or Gorman to make that thing work, and they decided that that cost wasn't worth it for them, and so they're stuck. They now have a rotation that is bottom five in Major League Baseball in terms of ERA and strikeout rate, and there is no simple fix for this group. They need guys internally to pitch better. They also probably need to add to the mix, and this gets us to our next conversation where Buster Olney earlier today over on ESPN.com wrote about the factors that are going to shape this year's trade deadline. Guys, it sure seems like there's going to be a whole lot of pitchers that are potentially, at least, available this year. There's talk, as T-Bone mentioned, about the Guardians maybe listening on Shane Bieber this year. There's also been talks about that for like the last five years, it feels like. The White Sox are terrible right now. Unfortunately, one of the main reasons why they've been terrible is because the starters that everybody likes that have some name recognition have been horrendous. Lucas Giolito hasn't been great. Dylan Cease, who we've talked about, has been horrible for them. Lance Lynn, who I know a lot of Cardinals fans, they hear the name, they're like, oh, I, I miss that Lance Lynn. He's not that guy anymore. He's been one of the worst starters in all of Major League Baseball so far this year. So not much there for you. The guy that I do find really interesting is Eduardo Rodriguez. The starter for the Detroit Tigers has been the guy that they wanted him to be when they signed him last offseason. So far this year, he's been one of the most productive starters in the league. You look at his strikeout rate, it is back up to where it was previously. He's thrown 51 innings. He's been an innings-eating monster, and he has a 1.5 ERA on the season. Now, he ain't going to come cheap. He also has a player option after this year that he very well may decline, so you may end up getting three months out of the guy. And honestly, that might be a good thing because I don't know what his future is going to hold. Last year was a weird season for Rodriguez. He like went MIA for a little while. So there's there's a lot to this. But there are some names that are potentially available. Alex, do you think this team is one pitcher away, though? Like, if you were in John Mosellock's shoes, are you showing urgency right now to make a big move for a starter if one of these teams say, you know what, we've got the depth in our pitching rotation, we need some hitting would you be willing to make a move like that to get your Willie Adamas of your pitching staff right now? No, I I don't think they're one pitcher away. I, I mean, let's say you get yourself Eduardo Rodriguez and he's pitching like a number one. So that just means you're pushing back Flaherty, Montgomery, and Michaelis. And although Monty's been really good this season, of course he had his blow up. And then you've got the Miles Michaelis who started off rough and has gotten better. And Jack Flaherty's been too inconsistent. I just don't know if this pitching staff is one guy away from really becoming 
that dominant force in the National League. Maybe it makes you the best team in the NL Central. It does make you the best team in the NL Central, I would imagine. But to me, that only moves the needle a little bit. Rotation kind of needs a whole makeover before I can sit there and say, yeah, that's a significant change. One guy isn't going to make that much of a difference. Now, I would show some urgency if I could acquire somebody who's got a couple more years left. Because like, if the Shane Bieber does become available... That makes me better next season. But this year, man, I don't know if it makes it that much of a difference. Yeah, I, I wouldn't show urgency for like a rental, and that's what I think Rodriguez would be. And I know you could say, well, maybe you can convince him to stay and opt in. That, that's too much of a risk for He's me. 31 years old, too. I, I mean, I, the age isn't so much the problem for me. It's more of how effective are they and is their control? Because I do think, like, right now, it's tough to, if you're in Mo's office, sit there and go, we got to go buy it, go be a buyer right now and go add a top end arm. But I think if you can look at a guy like Bieber, for example, who's got another year of control, I think you can look at the Cardinals and say, maybe we're not one pitcher away this year, but we're entering a winning window, and what do we need? We need an ace when we get to that window. So maybe you do a little bit of buying slash uh, selling when it comes to looking at your team and go, okay, we'll give up this to go get that top arm that maybe helps us this year, but most importantly helps us for next year. Because I think next year, I'm not giving up on this year yet, but I think next year is hey, we get a fresh start, and we've got an ace at the top end of the rotation. They have to find the ace, though, and and I don't think it can be something where you just punt on it and just look for whenever you think you're back to contending again. Here's the question. Are you willing to give up Lars Newbar and Nolan Gorman? Because that's who everybody's going to be calling about. So how does that make your team better if you give up your second-best bat to acquire a guy who's only going to start one out of every five days? This is what I'm I'm asking. This is probably going to be the calculus for John Mozeliak. It's either one of those two. Or maybe teams will be interested in Jordan Walker. They'll be interested in Mason Wynn. They'll be interested in Tinkins. Those are probably the five names that you're getting calls about when we're talking about the top end of the starting pitching market. It requires that kind of trade capital. You willing to do that? I'm willing to make an aggressive move in terms of maybe I part with one of Newbar and Gorman and part with hints in the package. Like I, I think there needs to be some urgency because – They've got the offensive bats to do it. And I understand what, where it's, hey, Newpar and Gorman are a part of that. I think you could part with one of those, still have a good offense, and get the number one guy you've been looking for. And then you're also still banking on Walker taking that step and becoming the guy that you think he is. Man. I I don't know. I don't know if I would do it. I, I think the guy that I would do it for is Shane Bieber. Yeah, that's the guy I would do it for. I would be very aggressive with. If Shane Bieber is truly available and... Because the, Indi- the the Guardians' hitting has been horrible this year. Their offense is among the worst in all of Major League Baseball. If we're talking whether it's Gorman or Newt for Shane Bieber, and that's like the starting point of that conversation, I'll, I'll have that conversation. But for just about any of these other guys that we've brought up, I don't think that's a route that I would go. Like any of the White Sox guys, no chance. Not, not doing it for one of them. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, who could be gone at the end of the year, nope, not interested. Shane Bieber, who I'm going to try to re-sign immediately upon his arrival here in St. Louis, that's that's the guy that I'd be targeting. But the problem is there's like one guy that I can really target and say that would be somebody of interest for me. Or Shohei. <laughs> but that's not happening. Coming up next, the Tampa Bay Lightning are a team that Alex has identified as potentially a trade partner for the Blues this offseason. We've got a guy coming up next that's been covering the Lightning for 23 years. What does he expect them to do this offseason? Which Lightning players could be available during the offseason? We'll ask him next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It's not often you can talk to a gentleman that's been covering the same team for 23 years, but that is what we have this distinct pleasure to do right now. Alex Ferrario has been talking a lot about the Blues and the Tampa Bay Lightning as a potential trade fit going into this offseason because of the cap crunch that not only the Lightning, but a bunch of teams around the NHL are going to be feeling. So we go right now to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Eric Erlinson. Eric, we appreciate the time, man. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. I'm trying to figure out what to do with my time. I'm not used to having time <laughs> off in May. It's kind of weird for me. Hey, at least you got a first round of the playoffs, Eric. I didn't know what the <laughs> hell to do with myself back in December. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a weird season, isn't it? It's, it's kind of been a weird year, and it's been a weird playoffs to, to you know this point as well. It absolutely has, Eric, and that's really why we wanted to talk with you because you're the expert of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and look, Tampa has had one incredible run, but they are running into this cap crunch right now because, I mean, what was it, BK? They have their top three guys that are making like $24, $25 million, and with this flat cap and with, frankly, a lot of guys that need to be re-signed, it does seem that Tampa might have to move some players and the one that I've isolated that could be somebody the Blues target has been Ross Colton. So I, I guess let's just start with the cap crunch that Tampa is going to be in and how they resolve it. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough to resolve. Uh, they've been under cap constraints uh, since the COVID year, and, and the cap went flat. And uh, you know, we we just had lunch a couple of us uh, media members the other day, and we were going through a list of players that were part of the two cup teams with Tampa Bay that are still contributing to other teams, you could make a pretty good team just off of those players, right? Yanni Gord and Carter Verhage and, you know, Blake Coleman and Barclay Goodrow and Ryan McDonough and all these guys that are still really good players that they've had to let go just because of the cap. And uh, it's, it's probably going to be an even more difficult situation this year. Um, the cap's only going up by a million, although I'd keep an eye on the potential for the cap to go up. I know there's some push on the PA side, you know, to kind of kick this inflator uh, to kind of get the cap to go up. So that would be a relief to a lot of teams. I mean, what, 20 to 30 teams are up against the cap, uh, you know, kind of already for next year. Uh, but, yeah, Ross Colton is a guy that you have to look at. He's a restricted free agent. He has arbitration rights. Uh, Julian Breesbaugh has already shown in the past that if they feel a player's arbitration rights uh, award could potentially, you know, hurt, uh, you know uh, hurt their cap even more, they're not afraid to walk away from it or move on from it. And we've seen them do that with a couple of players, I think Colton's probably going to fall in that category, although I expect a trade rather than a non-qualifying offer. Just because Colton's still young, he's got top six potential, you know, or middle six potential for sure. Uh, and he's a guy to kind of keep an eye on to, if nothing else, you know, recoup some draft picks that the Lightning kind of had to part ways with here over the last couple of years. Eric, tell us a little bit about uh, Ross Colton. What kind of a player is he? And uh, from what you've seen from him, do you think he would be a fit as like a third line center potentially next year for the St. Louis Blues if that was the direction they decided to go? Yeah, he could even play, you know, middle six. He could play on your second line as well. You know, he moved up to play, uh, you know, the right side uh, of the faceoff circle there uh, on the second power play unit for the Lightning. He has a really good one-timer from that area. He's not afraid to shoot the puck. That's one thing you notice of, of him over the last couple of years is that when he gets an opportunity to shoot, he very rarely passes it up. So, you know, he's got that mentality. He's very versatile. He can play center. He can play wing. He can kill penalties if you need him to. He doesn't kill penalties for the Lightning, but, you know, he has that in his back pocket as well and he's got good speed he's a really good four checker uh he has a nose for the net he loves to get around into those dirty kind of areas and 
Uh, he's just uh, just a lot of versatility, and he has a you know penchant for kind of showing up in clutch moments. Obviously, he had a cup clinching goal uh, against Montreal in 21. He had a goal with like 1.2 seconds left on the clock in the third period to get the Lightning a two nothing series lead last year in round two against the Panthers. Uh, and, and again, he's not a player that the Lightning want to let go, but they just might have to at some point. Uh, and he is probably their, their best commodity when it comes to making this sort of a deal because of all that versatility they can bring the ice up and down the lineup. Well, and that's what I was just going to say, Eric. I mean, everything you just described, it's like, why would they want to trade that guy? <laughs> but yeah. obviously they're in a tight cap place. So I guess a follow-up with that is, do you believe that they would start there? Or would they start maybe at the top of a guy like Stamkos or Kucherov or Sorelli to see if they can trade that individual before they start at the bottom? Or do you really believe that it just is going to come down to a guy that's an RFA that they just can't resign? I, it's going to come down to that. The RFA they, that's going to have a hard time resigning because, you know, he's making 1.2, I think, right now, you know, in an arbitration award. He's got a 20 goal season under his belt already. I just mentioned the clutch goals. I mean, if you're his agent, you're going into an arbitration meet, highlighting all that stuff. Um, you know, yeah, I think he finished with 16 or 17 this year and primarily playing a third-line role most of this year. So you have to figure he plays a, maybe a second-line role. The, the production goes up uh, a little bit more as well. Uh, and, and I just think that in whatever arbitration award he would get, it's probably going to at least triple his salary. And that's something that the Lightning just can't afford. That's why, you know, as much as they would love to keep Alex Kalorn. You know, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. He's another player. doesn't want to leave. This is the only organization he's ever known. He was a 2007 draft pick. He's the longest tenured player in the organization. He's coming off of a career year, and he absolutely loves this organization. But even if he took a home team discount, the Lightning couldn't afford him. So that's what it kind of comes down to uh, for this team. And they want to keep the core in place. You know, they with Kucherov and Point and, you know, and Stamkos, you know, he's got one year left on his deal before he becomes USA. So you have to keep an eye on his status kind of going forward here is look towards the summer. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I think it's they have this core in line, this this top core and this middle core, and they want to keep those guys intact because as long as you have a guy like Andre Vasilevsky in net, you got to give him a chance to win you know more cups. Um, and, and I think when it comes down to it, that's why a guy like Ross Colton just makes more sense. So, so I know this is pure speculation here, uh, Eric, but you know that's what we do in the offseason. So when it comes down to it, if St. Louis and Tampa truly are a match and that's the player that they're targeting, I, I mean, I know Tampa doesn't have a draft pick this year until the sixth round, so I think Amazing. anything would do for them. But do you think they would be starting with the first-round pick or would they look maybe a little bit lesser than that? It'd probably be a little bit lesser than that. I don't know if Ross Colton is the type of player that brings you back a first-round draft pick. I know... St. Louis has a multitude of them uh, this year with all the trades that they made. Uh, So I I don't think that you would be looking first round. I think you'd be looking second, third, you know, when we're talking maybe multiple picks and, you know, maybe a prospect or two is thrown in there, um, you know, to to kind of balance things out. But I I don't think a first round draft pick is, you'd love it if you're Julian Breezebois, but I just don't think that's market value if we're talking, you know, a potential trade partner. Hey, Eric, we appreciate you giving us the time today, man. I think we're going to go ahead and call it in. We'll call it into the league. Yeah, just we'll get tell this Julian done. we're calling. You know what? We'll, we'll just make it work for a second. We'll, we'll go ahead and to, to get this thing done now. We don't need to go further into the offseason. We'll make it a, a 2024 second-round pick uh, from the Blues going the going the direction of the Tampa Bay Lightning. We can call it into the league office. We appreciate you hopping on with us today, man. Thanks so much. Thanks,
I appreciate it. Be well, boys. Thanks, Absolutely. Eric. Same to you. That's Eric Erlinson joining us here on 101 ESPN. He's covered the Tampa Bay Lightning for 23 years. You can find his work at lightninginsider.com. Appreciate him giving us a little bit of insight into Eric, or excuse me, into Ross Colton. I mean, listen, if you could hear like specific buzzwords going into an interview about what do you want to hear about a player that could make sense for the St. Louis Blues? Yeah, but last time an interview with a St. Louis athlete, it didn't go over well. You know, he sold the app, the interview and then nothing else. So he's good at faceoffs. He won 56 percent of them last year. He can play second or third line center if you need him to. Uh, he's got a one-timer. That, that on sounds the power pretty play. good on the power play. Um, he's a guy that it plays physically. Had 188 hits last year. Had 155 the year before that. Can play the penalty kill. Can play the penalty kill if needed. By the way, he's, he's going to be 27 next year. He's going to make about $3 million in arbitration. You're likely to see him get one of those bridge deals, which will cover probably two years, you would expect. Something similar to what Ivan Barbashev got, but a little bit more expensive. I mean... This feels like the exact type of player that the Blues are looking for. This is it. And and I know he said you probably don't need to do a first-round pick, maybe a second or third. I'd do a late first-round pick to put yourself above the head of the pack. The reason that you traded those guys and got those pieces was to go out there and acquire a young asset that could help you compete next season. And I would do that right now. Whomever the lower draft pick becomes, whether it's Toronto's or the Dallas one that you got from the New York Rangers, that's the piece that goes to Tampa to get Ross Colton, and I would lock up Ross Colton for a three-year deal worth three mil a year because that solidifies everything for you, and then you've got the patience on the 10th overall pick opportunity, and then you look at it and say, cross off the list of our forward group. Let's figure out defense this offseason. This is the guy. Somebody on the text line said, you guys are crazy sending that much away for Ross Colton. Guys, it's, it's going to cost you something to get a good player. Ross Colton's a good player, and as much as the Lightning – are probably going to have to lose him going into this offseason. It is important to note that there's not there's a reason why they're losing him. This isn't a guy that they want to go ahead and shed from their salary. This is a guy that's just going to price himself out. Yeah. Similar to Ivan Barbashev, right? The Blues didn't want to trade Ivan Barbashev. They got a former first-round pick in return for Ivan Barbashev, though, because they didn't have the money. They didn't want to exp- uh, have on their expenses this offseason what it was going to cost to to keep Ivan Barbashev. Imagine if you could replace him with a guy that's going to cost $3 million, plays very similarly to, similarly to Ivan Barbashev, but is a true middle six center. Yeah. Like that, that's basically what you're doing here. And so you're flipping a pick for Ross Colton. Is going to take you a first? Maybe not. Maybe what they do, Alex, is they trade one of their late first round picks for two second round picks, and then they flip one of those second round picks for Ross Colton. There sure. are other ways they can go about this. But if I was to put like a, a leaderboard, the leader in the clubhouse to be the next St. Louis yeah. Blue, the top Colton. name on that list for me would be Ross Colton. Yeah. And here's the thing. And I know people are texting in and saying you can't give up that much for a guy. Look, the first round pick might be 29, 30, 31st, 32nd, depending on what the outcome of this playoffs is. So that's going to really impact it. Here's the other thing. If Eric believes that a third round pick gets it done, You've got two third-round picks this year, and your third-round pick is a significantly higher third-round pick because you're selecting in the top 10. Or maybe you do one of your seconds that you have next year. you got two exactly. of them going into next year's draft. Whatever it is, though, you can't miss the opportunity to acquire this player. And if he's there for you and there's other guys competing, because I promise you there's going to be other teams competing for this player because they know Tampa's got to get rid of them, 
you got to be the leader in the clubhouse because you let this one go, it's going to hurt you because you need a center, you need physicality, you need a leader. Here's the other thing. This guy has been in the playoffs uh, every year he's been in the NHL. That's playoff experience and a guy who can come in and provide that. This is the leader in the clubhouse. So I don't think Ross Colton is going to be Pavel Buchnevich. No, I don't. That's not the type of profile that we are talking about here. Like he's not a guy that is probably going to score 35 goals for the Blues ever. Um, he didn't have the same track record as Pavel Buchnevich did when he came over to the Blues. However, um, if we want to dream a little bit here, the two years prior to Pavel Buchnevich coming over to the Blues, he scored 36 goals and had 94 points in 122 games. The last two years, Ross Colton scored 38 goals and had 71 points in 160 games. So he played a little bit more, didn't quite have the same assist production as Pavel Buchnevich did, because, of course, Buchnevich is an unbelievable distributor. But the goal production is pretty damn similar, man. He is a guy that is going to get into, as we just heard there, the dirty areas. Like all of the buzzwords you could have heard, you just heard right. them about Ross Colton. Well, it, here's the other, it makes all the sense in the world. He's, he's playing 13 minutes a night for Tampa because they have depth down the middle. Right. The Blues don't have that same depth. He's good on the dot. This is the player that the Blues need to go out there. And, and for people that think you're giving it up for a guy who who is a 15 goal scorer, that's on a Tampa Bay Lightning team where he's playing the third or fourth line because he's not seeing significant power play time or penalty kill time because they've got better guys to do that. You pluck that player, put him on a team where you get a higher opportunity because if he's here, you're talking about potentially playing the second line center role and Braden Shen dips down to the third line center role, which means power play time. Everything about this makes sense for St. Louis. Also, like Pavel Buchnevich wasn't on the penalty kill up in New York. Yeah. <laughs> now he's, I think, one of the best penalty killers I've seen in a St. Louis Blues uniform. So sometimes guys have skills that you don't see because they're they're too far down on the organizational list. And sometimes that's a bad thing. When you're in the Lightning's organization, though, that means something very different. Absolutely. If you miss any of our conversation with Eric Erlitson from lightninginsider.com, be sure to check that out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. And the free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trust wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In about five minutes or so, Tanner admits defeat on a specific Cardinals player. We'll do that coming up here in just nice. a moment. But right now, yeah, it's time for the Mother. junk drawer. Alex, what do you got for us today, my man? So, guys, you know sometimes I can be miserable, right? Yeah. No. Yeah? yeah. Uh, usually, there's certain scenarios that make me a miserable individual. Large crowds. Feet. Feet. Bed, bed bugs. bugs. Grocery stores without headphones. Sure. And also air conditioning. If I don't have air conditioning in the heat of the summer, I will be a miserable you-know-what. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not the case for the U.S. Department of Energy. I don't know if you guys saw this article, but they are suggesting the ideal sweet spot for your air during the heat of the summer so that you can save money and, you know, protect the environment is 78 degrees in the day and 82 degrees in the night. 
Whoa. Yeah. I Are saw, you bleeping kidding me? I saw this yesterday. Not good. Somebody and then also says if you think that's bad, it also says you should bump it up to 85 degrees anytime you leave the house. I don't want to live. That's my grandparents' house. That's a felony. Yes. If if you if I arrive at your house and it is 85 degrees. Ew, and then your probably shoes and socks are off. You should be arrested. Yes. I'm in. Like that's basically not having air conditioning. That is a crime against humanity. Yeah. That's embarrassing. And you should immediately be sent I, to prison for the next decade. Would you even run when it got that high? Sure yeah, not. if it's 90-something degrees outside, sure, it'll kick on, but they, it's not going to make a difference. I mean, at that point, just have a window unit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, there's no reason to have or, central AC. Or just have no windows in your house and turn the fan sure. on. And like, that's terrible. Put on your, like, 1600s, like, outfit because, like... You are living you in the 1907 music. Yeah, you might as well be listening to that. That is a criminal. You know, Whoa. what's crazy, too. I actually would go the opposite direction of what they say, where they say 78 during the day and 82 while you're sleeping at night. Yeah, I turn. I like mine colder while I'm sleeping at night than when I'm just walking around during the day. I, don't I know like if you it feel cold 24 seven. Huh? I like it cold 24 seven. Sure, But like if I'm going to flip them, I would rather. I mean, 78 and 82 is insane, yeah. but. I think we typically keep ours at like 72. I was just going to ask what your guys was at because I had the argument with my mom the other day. She was babysitting and my air was at 72. She goes, it is freezing in your house. I go, what are you talking about? She goes, you need to turn it to 74 or 75. So my mom was somebody that kept it a lot warmer. She was typically around like 74, 75. I would like it to be like 70 or below yeah. at all times. Uh, my wife is very much more on the let's keep it 73 or above at all times. So we kind of meet in the middle. We're at 72. <laughs> say, um, 72 is typically where I'm at. I'm sorry, but I don't care if I'm saving any money on that. And I, uh, I, frankly, this is going to sound I, awful, but I'm not too concerned about the environment whoa, when my house is that hot. Whoa, 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 man. whoa. I've, I'm sorry, but all I right, can't live in 82 degrees. I can't live in 82 degrees. Uh. Where I keep are you at? My, a 72, but sometimes I put it at 69. This would be my this would be my question. I uh it's if, nice if temperature you're putting it if you're putting it at like 78, are you allowed to have a fan plugged in or no? What do you mean? So like for example, because my grandparents, when I lived with them for a little over a year, they would keep the air at 78. AKA it never ran. <laughs> uh but same brother. I, I lived in the basement and it was still hot in the basement. And there's no like separator. So what I had was I had a fan in my room that I would plug in. That would just blow all the time, and it would blow onto my bed while I'm sleeping. I'd oh, get yeah. a cool breeze coming on. We have our fan. I mean, our air is on at 72, 73 in the house, and we have our ceiling fan on in our bedroom yeah, it never turns throughout off. the year. It it's never turns bad. off. Do you switch yours? Do you rotate it yeah, during, the, in, in during the, the summer and the winter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do, do that for the girls' room, mine too. Was, did you my, know you can do that? I did know you could do that, <laughs> but my fan was not like a ceiling fan. Mine was a like yeah. My dad has one of those. In. When he sleeps at night, he has it on his nightstand. box fans. Yeah, blowing at his face. Yeah, it's like an Italian thing, I guess. You just get hot, no matter what. Yeah, dude, I wake up in puddles sometimes. Yeah, it's disgusting. During the summer, it's not fun. It's disgusting. It's not eighty-four degrees. Get the hell out of here. Now that I have a pregnant wife, uh, oh, yeah. she's a furnace, and so I'll wake up sometimes and I'm like, "This is not. This is not okay. <laughs> not for her, for me. My yeah. just see, it's a pool from the three one four. Amen, Ferrario. Things you don't cheap out on: AC, groceries, and toilet paper." Anybody who buys one ply toilet paper is a monster. That's why you don't use the restroom in public. I forgot about that. That's another thing that you would throw to the list. I don't use it at my mother-in-law's house either because she only buys one ply toilet paper. I said, what are you trying to do to us? Coming up next, T-Bone admits defeat. Tell you how. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we call out another radio show for stealing our content. Oh, unbelievable. Shocker. Looking forward to doing that. They take a Ferrario 5. Well, they, that's good content con- gold. Good content. That's I content think we gold. stole that from Letterman. Uh, no, a Ferrario 5? I don't, five? I don't basically. steal from no. anybody. I don't, I'm not a top 10 list. I barely know who Letterman is, so. Really? I'm not familiar yeah. with his work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know who Jay Leno is? Yeah. That's like Letterman. He's the star Letterman from Last Man Standing. Oh, God. Okay. Moving Um, on. Right now, though, T-Bone's taking a little bit of an L. Yeah. Take it, Tanner. Guys. Taste it. The Cardinals said all offseason, we are not trading Lars Newpar. We are not trading Lars Newpar. We will not trade Lars Newpar. And T-Bone said, but you should probably trade Lars (laughs) Newpar. And to be fair, BK said we should trade Gorman. No, I said that he has value, and maybe that would be a good idea. Yeah. BK thought he was just going to finish Tanner in this segment. A Tanner from the top rope. Boom! Finish him. I have admitted <laughs> defeat on Nolan Gorman. And now we're talking about whether or not they should trade for a starter. And once again, Nolan Gorman's name is probably going to be discussed. Which makes no sense. As is Lars Newbar, by the way, because he has value. There's reason why teams wanted Lars Newbar in the offseason. Guys, Lars Newbar is once again like right at the level where he was in the second half of last season. Since his return from the injured list, he's batting 290 with an on-base percentage of 433. The power is starting to return as well. He's hitting the ball hard again. He's got an OPS plus, which is on a scale of one uh, of 100, where 100 is exactly league average. Anything above that is that percent above league average. He's at 143. Oh my gosh, Tanner. He's 43% above league average offensively this year. And guys, since... The second half of last year, Lars Newtbar is at an OPS plus in that stretch of 141. That is 24th in Major League Baseball among hitters that have had at least 250 plate appearances in that time. There are 214 of them. You're talking about a guy that right now is behind only Paul Goldschmidt among Cardinals hitters in terms of OPS plus since the All-Star break of last year. Look, Tanner's not even looking up. <laughs> T-Bone, are we ready? Uh, by the way, uh, Juan Soto is at 137. Oh, you've got Juan Soto. T-Bone, are you ready to admit defeat? Uh, by the way, Ronald Acuna Jr., 134. Oh, Manny got... Machado, 132. <laughs> Francisco Lindor, 130. Xander Bogarts, 129 in this stretch. Carlos Correa, 125 in this stretch. Wow. Nolan Arenado, 122. This is embarrassing. Austin Riley, 118. Adolis Garcia, who every Cardinals fan loves now, 122. Wilson Contreras, we all agree, pretty good hitter, right? 117. T-Bone, are you ready to admit defeat on your Lars Newbar take? No, I'm not. Oh, my oh geez. I want to see it for a full year before I buy in. Um, oh I, I think his numbers are going uh, to regress still. Excuse. I, I think his numbers are going to regress still. Based on what, though? Yeah, you <laughs> know, you see we, where you're we like, optioned this Jordan. is unsustainable. First off, if we're going to point out that, hey, Jordan Walker's been hitting the ball on the ground. He's going down to work on that. Newport's hitting the ball on the ground the same percentage as Jordan Walker is at 59%. Uh, so Lars Newport's never moment, regressed. He's all, all only progressed. 
His chase rate is the best in Major League Baseball this year. Like, literally zero players are better at chasing than him. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens when teams start to attack him more. Um, We've seen it. They're attacking him more, and he's hitting the ball hard again. I'm not going to buy into just a month, uh, what was it, month and 11 days of what we've seen from Lars Newpar. My God. I didn't buy into just the second half resurgence. BK wanted to give O'Neill an extension after the 2021 uh, resurgence he had in September. You're, he that was did not exactly what you're season. wanting to see for Lars. It was Newmar. not a full season from O'Neill in 21. He had a, most of his numbers were okay. It was like five based on the second half. I uh, I'm not going to buy into Newport until I see these numbers sustained throughout a whole year. When they do, like Tyler O'Neill did. No, he did not. His numbers were ballooned in from the second May half. until the end of the season. No, that's when it happened. No. Yeah, he was injured O'Neal's in April. Numbers were not good. Can I until give them the second to you real quick? Because yes. you're wrong. His Let's OPS go! was a 1,000 in May, 820 in June, which is really good. Had a tough July, was at 670, and then 920 for the month of August and 1,100 month, in the month of September. That was a month, yeah. dude. He had five months in his season where his OPS was at or above 800, yeah. three months where season. it was at or above 900, and one month where it dipped that year. I, I mean... It, he was awesome. He was but really, was, really I good was not in 2020. Wrong to not buy into O'Neill, was no, I? Oh, sure. Of okay. course. Well, then it's fair for me to sit here today and say, it's great what Lars Newbar is doing. But am I going to buy into it for the long term right now? Do, I'm I, still not. I'm I'm still wanting to see more. Can I mention something that is. I mean, a Go ahead. It feels like an attack segment. Tanner, what did Lars do to you? <laughs> a, a, a slight difference between Lars Newbar and Tyler O'Neill is that Lars has basically been this guy since the moment that he got up. Tyler O'Neill had three seasons of failure <laughs> prior to having one breakout year. And the breakout season was like everything went right. He got on base. He was hitting for average and he slugged. Lars has a very definable skill. Lars Newport gets on base. Like if you distill it down into any one thing, what does Lars Newtbar do well? Minors, he did it too, like his entire career in the minors. He's always been this specific player. He's got a great batter's eye. And this year you look at his rates, he chases less than anybody in the sport, and he walks more than all but one player in the sport. That is a skill, man. There is a skill to getting on base. It's happened all of last year. It's happened all of this season. Even in 2021, he was a very good player when it came to getting on base. Is that batting average? All that other stuff is different. But And now what he's added to his repertoire over the last year or so is hitting the ball hard. Will that continue at the rate as it was last year? Maybe not. He may never be an all-star caliber player. But what I do think you have on your hands is a guy that's going to get on base more than 35% of the time, probably more than 36% of the time, regardless of where that batting average is. And that, while maybe not being the peak Lars, is a guy that's about 20% above league average offensively. Like, we're not arguing. And by the way, he's really good defensively and hit, or and is a athletic player yeah we're not arguing like you know you got the elite outfielder right now although kyle tucker i'd say he's probably right there with him (laughs) t-bone um what we're arguing is lars Nupar is consistent and that is one thing that this team has very little of consistency with their offensive players and lars Nupar should be in that conversation yeah see i i wouldn't put lars in that conversation yet because i look at his baseball reference page and it's a small sample size, but there's a lot of just numbers I look at and I go, yeah, I, I don't know because it is inconsistent. The batting average numbers go up and down, whether you want to look at batting average or not. His slugging is down right now compared to where it was last year. So By 
20 points and it's 20 I, games. Look, I'm not going to buy into Lars Newpar until I see this through the end of the season. And then we can have the conversation again. Him hitting the ball on the ground a lot is concerning for me. And, and that is something that I'm going to live on and say, hey, look, if his numbers start to die down, it's going to be because he's been hitting the ball on the ground, just like what was going on with Jordan Walker. Mm-hmm. And I, he does have a good batter's eye. We'll see how it translates. Donovan's got a good batter's eye. His numbers have been down. Now he's starting to draw walks again. I, I just do not want to buy in yet because I've seen what it's like to buy in early on and get burned by it. I I want to see Jack this for Flaherty. a full full season. Exactly. Um, I, I, I'm not admitting defeat on Lars Newbar yet. Has he been better than I was expecting so far? Absolutely. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you I think he's been bad, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you, yeah, he should be a guy that's locked in to be your everyday outfielder for the years to come. I'm just not there yet. So somebody actually brought up a really interesting comparison for Lars Newbar. I don't know if I'm here with him or not, but somebody said, guys, Dexter Fowler was like this as well. Yeah, he kind of was. Um, Dexter Fowler was a very good player late in his career in Colorado and then continued that in Houston for a season, then eventually took that to Chicago, and we know what it was like here in St. Louis. Lars Newtbar right now is 25 years old. This is his age 25 season. So this would be like the first year, really, of Dexter Fowler where he was like an everyday player in Colorado and an above-average hitter. Would you guys sign up for the next six years for Lars Newtbar to be what the next six years were for Dexter Fowler? Dexter Fowler after that, from 2012 to 2017, slash 271 as a batting average, 371 as an on-base percentage, 435 as a slugging percentage. On an average basis, that would be basically 30 doubles, 17 home runs, and added about 15 stolen bases per year as well. It's 15% above league average offensively. Would you sign up for that right now if I told you that's what the next seven years looked like for Lars Newtbar in St. Louis? Yeah, because that's consistency. And he's a above average, really good defender. So, yeah, I would sign up for that. I would now, take, I'm not paying him Texter Fowler money, but... Yeah, I would take that and write out the process with him through right. arbitration. Sure. Exactly so the next five do. years is what yeah. you get. After that's that. exactly what I would I, do. I would sign up for that, yes. I, I would take him being 16% above league average and hitting those kind of numbers that you said, yes but I don't know if I'm there yet and buying into that's what his numbers are going to become. I think that's very possible. I think what you saw from Dexter Fowler in his late 20s is kind of what I think you hope Lars Newtbar ends up becoming. And if they get that out of him, I think everybody should be happy with that. I think this is sometimes something that we do where it's like, hey, they're either going to be an all-star or they fail. Like, there is no in-between. Lars Newtbar has been a really good player. For the Cardinals, basically since the middle of last season. And while I give T-Bone a lot of crap on whether or not he's willing to take the L on Lars Newtbar, I get it. We've been burned by these outfielders so many different times, whether it's Randall Gritchick or Tyler O'Neill or Stephen Biscotti. There's been a dozen, hell, Dex, or, uh, Dylan Carlson, Dexter Fowler even, you could throw into this mix. All of them have had really strong like half seasons or maybe even full seasons, and then it just falls off a cliff again. So I get it if you're feeling burned by the ghosts of Cardinals outfield past. I think Lars is one of the guys that we can actually buy into because of that skill of getting on base. I'm not sure about the power. That that remains to be seen. The on base, though, feels very real. And like I said, since the middle of last season, Lars Newtbar is 24th in Major League Baseball in OPS+. Plus. By the way, guys, his on-base percentage in that stretch is almost the exact same as Brandon Nimmo. You guys see what Brandon Nimmo just got in free agency this past offseason? That's why the Cardinals decided to keep Lars Newfar. So you essentially wanted Brandon Nimmo for more money than what you're paying Brandon Nimmo. more consistent and had a longer career track record. I'm done with him. Take the loss. And hurt.
Um, he's he's been Just hurt like a lot. Tyler Newbar hasn't been on the IL yet this year. Oh wait, <laughs> touche, sir. Coming hours up next from the World Baseball Classic. Okay, no, another show though. stole our content. We're gonna call them out for it and play a game of Believe It or Not here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. those other fools how it's done believe it or not i'm walking on air i never thought i could feel so free flying away on a wing and a prayer who could it be believe it or not it's just me 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line try to repeat that for Believe Nailed It or it. Not, here on 101 ESPN. It's something we do each and every Thursday. We have done this for a couple of years now TNA. on BK and Ferrario. Unfortunately, Alex, we've got some impersonators yeah. what? around we have these halls. The new kids on the we block. We have imposters. I've always been told. What fla- a phony. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Yeah, but I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Alex on this one. <laughs> And yesterday, it's like when somebody steals my eulogies, we were made aware. Nobody would ever do that, buddy. That they did another show in these hallways, in this very building. They stole our content, Alex. Should we give this a listen? I think we should. We need to. We need to like American Idol this. Let's judge it, Simon. Man, my freeze are so much better. I gotta say, that was pretty good. That was really good. <laughs> Damn. Guys! Damn, they, can, they can really sing. Damn. Well, they sound like they're was, in a band. Well, one was. Are we sure that was them? Are we sure that wasn't just the recording? Huh? Oh, you think they use auto-tune? Yeah, are they not? Sure. Are they T-Painting I feel like it? they let the, the song do most of the work. Yeah, really we too. don't let the song do the work. No, that's we for us. Do, we do the heavy lifting around these parts. The Josh Annis show over oh, on Casey. Unbelievable. I like Josh. I think Josh is good people. I used to like Josh. Yeah, I was going to say until he stole our content. Yeah. The new kid on the block is going to show up and take our stuff. They are unbelievable. That was pretty good. Maybe no. we should get them to record no. it for us. No. What? <laughs> All right. He's out of the band again. He's been kicked out of the band more often than yeah, any band member been... in the history of music. You keep crawling back to us, man, but it's not going to happen anymore. We're done with you. Uh, 314-399-9646 The Air Comfort Service Excellent from the 618 Guys, this is no different than you guys stealing content From other shows, such as the lineup game Well, we make that better Yeah, I mean, we don't steal it from them, we just borrow it We We give it back, it's just when it's a day game They can't do it during the day game So we take advantage of the opportunity We never steal from them We're gonna do Guess the Lines this year, but then the blue stunk And we decided not to do that, so we kind of stole their content for that Well, but not their content A different game, it's not a lineup It's true the lines totally different. Totally different thing. Completely they guess different. a batting order. Six, we guess lines. Six three six all caps. You guys million times better. Let's go. It says RK. Is that Randy? I think it was Randy. Ah, thanks, Randy. Appreciate, Appreciate you, Randy. Thanks for tuning in. All right, let's get to believe it or not, Alex. What do you got for us today? Uh, believe it or not, fellas, the Blues will improve their defensive core via trade. 
not via free agency. Does it count uh, if we send somebody away? I'm not going to believe this. I do not think they will add via trade for their defensive core. My McKenzie Weger dream is uh, dying uh, a slow and frustrating death. But I'm believing this because our good friend Pat Steinberg did a mailbag on Sportsnet and named Noah Hannafin as a candidate of cost-cutting moves. It's real simple, guys. You ship one out, you bring one in, and your team improves. Believe it. Tanner? not going to believe it. I want it. I uh, I don't think they're going to go out and bring somebody in defensively. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to ship somebody out. Well, you, sir, are a dummy. But I don't know if they're going to bring somebody in. I think they're going to have the same defensive core as last year, just moving one out via oh, trade. Yeah, like, agreed. I really do. That's why I asked the question of does it count if I believe this by them just making the defense better by trading somebody out? I don't. I think there's going to be a new face on this defense. Yeah, Tucker. He's already on the defense, man. Oh, sorry. Loof. Loof! Uh, I can't wait for Lufa to... Leo. Huh? Leo. Leo. Leo Lufa. No, don't compare him to the thing that you T-Bone, use. what do you have for us today? And <laughs> don't compare it or to what I use in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, Nolan Gorman or Lars Newbar will be an all-star this year. Hmm. Uh, I haven't checked to see what the designated hitters around the league are going to be going up it's against... second baseman now. Nolan Gorman. Fair. Yeah, how do we categorize Gorman? Um, I'm going <laughs> to say... Utility. Like, just offhand, without having looked at any of this, what the competition is going to be, I'm going to believe it. I think Lars New, or uh, excuse me, Nolan Gorman has a very real chance to be able to do exactly that. He's been awesome for the Cardinals so far this year. So I think if of the two, I would pick Gorman. Um, the only other guy that is kind of in contention for that in the NL right now would be Andrew McCutcheon, probably. And he's got the name recognition, oh, he's so it's get- not going to be easy. He's getting in no matter what. That's going to be the commissioner's pick. That's going to be the Albert Pujols pick. Maybe. I don't know that McCutcheon has the same cachet oh, as I do. Albert. You're back in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's I think going to be having a guy. renaissance. Yeah. I don't I, I don't think McCutcheon will get it from the commissioner because he hasn't announced he's retiring yet. Like, I think the commissioner pick will be Cabrera from the AL because he's retiring at the end of the year and Wayno because he's retiring at the end of the year. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has had a really good season so far this year for the uh, – the Diamondbacks as well. But again, I, I don't know that he has the name recognition. The, the problem for the Cardinals is that they're so bad record-wise that they're not going to get a whole lot of opportunities yeah. for guys to get into the They're going to be the team that only gets game. one in. I, I'll, I'll bet this, or I'll, I'll, I'll believe this. So I think Nolan Gorman is the one that ends up getting in. Yeah, I'll believe this one too. I think Nolan Gorman's proven that he's an all-star with how he's performed. He's been second best bat on this team, better than Nolan Arenado. Yeah, I, I'm going to believe it too. I think it would be Gorman. I, I think he's got a legitimate shot. I, he may struggle with name recognition in terms of trying to compete with McCutcheon for that spot, but the outfield's so low in the NL. Like It would be tough for Lars Newbar to, to get that recognition and get into the an all-star, uh, but I, I could see Gorman doing it. And Gorman's the kind of guy that he's got just so much power where he could go on a tear where he hits like, you know, 12 home runs in a matter of like eight games or something crazy like that. Uh, all right, guys, believe it or not, the Cardinals make a trade at the deadline for a starting pitcher, and his name is Shane Bieber. Not. Where's Cleveland at right now? They're, they're like middling in the AL Central. AL they just, might be behind Detroit now. They're they made Detroit look yeah. good. Oh, yeah. um, I'm not going to believe it just because I don't think – I think the asking price is going to be like a Gorman, a Newt Bar, somebody like that, or a top-end pitching prospect or, or someone like that, and I don't think the Cardinals will make that move. I'm going to be – I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm not going to believe this. What if I amended it, though, made it a little more open-ended? Believe it or not, the Cardinals will trade for somebody at the deadline that we feel comfortable starting a game one of a postseason series. Oh, I'm not believing that. 
Because Shane Bieber would fit into that category. Yeah. I, 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 Shane Bieber is an interesting one. It just depends on where Cleveland's at. I do think that if you're the Cardinals and you continue this down spiral and know your pitching staff needs help, you make that commitment, even if it's a lot. But I, I just don't see Mo making the move to get a legit pitcher by the trade deadline. I think it's going to be another three, four that people sell themselves on. Like, oh, yeah, he's going to be good. And he's not Eduardo Rodriguez. I'm not going to believe it either. I, I don't have the, though I think they should. And if they continue to be bad and say they're out of it and they end up, uh, I don't know, say they're 10 out in the division still and eight out in the wild card, something like that would be tough, tough to do, but they could do it. If that's the case, they should be looking to buy and sell. And I'm t- typically against that. I think you either you pick a lane and you go down it. But I, I think they're too good of a roster to be a team that would have to retool, quote unquote, for like three years because this year's bad. Kind of like the Blues. The Blues, they needed to enter a retool probably the next two, three years. I don't think the Cardinals are there. There's too Agreed. much talent on this roster. They can't build. They can't blow this up. The Cardinals yeah. are not in a place where they can blow up the roster. Like it's. It's Blues almost could impossible with pending UFA. Absolutely. So I, I and they think, were young. They're building yeah. the guys that are under contract long term are young. The Cardinals guys that are under contract are are uh, not particularly young. I agree that they can't blow it up. They could blow up their pitching staff though. They if they struggle, they can say we're moving on from Flaherty. We're moving on from Montgomery. I, mean, I don't think anybody would trade for Flaherty right now. Somebody would. I think somebody would. Somebody would. I can see the Dodgers absolutely doing that. Because it's not expensive. Andy's a pending yeah. free agent. It would be kind of similar to what uh, the Dodgers did last year with Danny Duffy. Yeah. Duffy was like literally hurt and couldn't pitch at the time. But you'd probably get a, you'd get a flyer. It would be prospect. a Syndergaard move to me. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, you're not getting a ton in return. But that's blowing it up for the Cardinals pitching staff. Because then they'll say, well, we got to evaluate everything. That's fair. fair. But either way, I, I think they should, even if they can't turn this around, look to buy and sell and get that ace. I don't think the Cardinals would do it. I think they would look at it and either sell off the piece we just talked about, Flaherty Montgomery, maybe you throw in a bullpen arm in that conversation, or they would look at it and say, hey, the only thing we're missing is that number four guy that will stabilize it. We get in, anything can happen. I don't think they would go, hey, let's really push a couple of chips in and go all in on this hand and go get a starting pitcher, even though he may not help them this year in a playoff uh, contention kind of scenario, but be the guy that would help them the following year. Yeah, you look at some of the free agents that are going to be potentially available this upcoming offseason as well. If, and this is a huge if, the Cardinals have learned their their lesson about, hey, we're probably going to have to spend a little bit more on pitching. There are options available for them going into this offseason, like really good starters that could be of interest for them. Aaron Nola is going to be a free agent this offseason. Eduardo Rodriguez might become available. Max Scherzer has an opt-out. Blake Snell is going to be available. Marcus Stroman has an opt-out. I don't think they would go that route. Julio Urias is available this offseason. There's some guys that are really good that could potentially become available. So maybe they just say, you know what? We'll flip some of our starters at the deadline, and then we'll sign a guy in free agency. That way we don't have to trade a Lars Newtbar, Nolan Gorman, somebody like that, that we really don't want to part with. Coming up next, Doug Armstrong saw the league changing and the team is heading in the right direction according to that trend. We'll talk about that and how it's played out so far in the postseason next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Armstrong has been telling us that this was coming for a few years now. 
he saw the trends. He knew where the league was going. And I think that's part of why he signed Mike Hoffman a couple of years ago. Just thinking the same thing. It didn't work. And the Blues decided to reverse course on that. But they've made moves that they believe will make them a better team for the near future. I think Verona plays into this. I think Kapanen plays into this a bit. I think betting big long term on both Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo plays into this. The league is moving towards scoring. It's moving towards pace. It's moving towards offense. And that's what we're seeing in the postseason as well. Dom from The Athletic, I know none of us like him, but he does write some pieces that are compelling, in my opinion. He wrote about the the new trend in the postseason earlier today over on The Athletic. He said uh, last year, the league averaged 6.2 goals per game during the regular season, and that saw a jump up to 6.3 goals per game, both teams combined, into the playoffs. This year, the jump has been even larger. We were at 6.3 goals per game during the regular season. We're up to 6.5 goals per game in the playoffs. We have not seen that level of goal-scoring production in the postseason since the early 1990s. That was back in the, like, Hull and Oates days here in St. Louis. We're talking about, like, the the highest goal-scoring production that we've seen in this league in 30 years in the playoffs. Alex, it's not hard to look around at the, the teams that remain right now and see how they're doing it. They're doing it behind guys that are able to put the puck in the back of the net. Is there still defensive structure? Absolutely. Look at what the Stars are doing. Look at what the Carolina Hurricanes are doing. But if you don't have the ability to score regularly, like the Oilers, the Golden Knights, or the Panthers, man, you ain't going very far right now in this current iteration of the NHL. When you think about that and what it means for the Blues, how do you believe that will guide their decisions this offseason? It's going to come down to finding more offensive players and more offensive mindset. It starts with the coaching staff. It starts with Doug Armstrong, where they both said at the exit interviews that they need to get on the same page as these players and have a bit of a connection compared to what it used to be. And then it's going to trickle down into the players. A perfect example of how the, the trend is going in this direction are the New York Islanders. Our good buddy Grant Francis uh, sent me this yesterday. Like they're still, They still haven't had exit interviews yet since being eliminated from the first round of the playoffs, because I believe and Grant believes that they're still trying to figure out what they're doing with the head coach and the general manager. Why? Because for the longest time, the New York Islanders were a strictly defensive minded team. And yeah, they got into the playoffs, but they got beat quick in the playoffs by a team that had more offense than them. That's how the league is trending. It's trending towards offense. Toronto's that way. Edmonton's that way. Vegas is that way. Dallas is that way. All of them. But it's not just speed offense. It's physicality offense. It's pressure in front of the net offense. But Doug Armstrong is going to look at this and say, all right, this is the way the league's going. It's how the league has been trending. Let's lean into it. We've got the Bulldukes and the Snuggerudes and the Deans that could be coming up. They're going to be a piece of it. It's why they're showing so much patience with Scott Perunovic. They're hoping he's a part of it. And then it comes down to the onus on your top nine in creating more offense and being less about defense. Frankly, I think that's why the casualty of Mike Van Ryan was there. Because Mike Van Ryan, as much as we love him and as much success as he's had, He doesn't have the same defensive unit that he used to have. He doesn't have the same size and stick reach and ability to shut down the play in front of the net. Now they're leaning towards the Krugs and the Falks and the Lettys and the Parecos, the speed through the neutral zone, the offensive zone time. That's going to be the starting point for them. And then it's going to come down to how does their offseason play into that? I look at this Blues team right now and I say to myself, if you went into next year with the current roster, you subtract one of the defensemen. You can pick who it is, the one of the underperformers, right? And you add a middle six centerman 
What does that look like for them in 2023? I think with a few tactical changes, with a little more buy-in from the team, I think that team could make the playoffs next year. I would not pick them to do anything of significance once they get there. But, Alex, when I watched the first round of the playoffs and I was watching the Minnesota Wild against the Dallas Stars, I said to myself, I don't know how much better these teams are than the Blues. I think they're better. I think they have more buy-in. I think they are more desperate when they're on the ice. I'm not sure skill-wise, though, that they're significantly more skilled or talented than the team that I watched from start to finish this year. And so when you look at that, you say to yourself, all right, add one more significant piece to the puzzle. I, I don't think you're that far away from maybe being able to slide in. And this brings us to the player that we discussed early, earlier today with Eric Erlinson, who covers the Tampa Bay Lightning. He was telling us about a restricted free agent in Ross Colton. And don't get too tied up on the specific player, but I do think he makes a lot of sense. Listen to the way that he describes Ross Colton as a potential fit for the St. Louis Blues. So he could play on your second line as well. You know, he moved up to play, uh, you know, the right side uh, of the faceoff circle there uh, on the second power play unit for the Lightning. He has a really good one-timer from that area. He's not afraid to shoot the puck. It's one thing you notice of, of him over the last couple of years is that when he gets an opportunity to shoot, he very rarely passes it up. So, you know, he's got that mentality. He's very versatile. He can play center. He can play wing. He can kill penalties if you need him to. He doesn't kill penalties for the Lightning, but, you know, he has that in his back pocket as well and he's got good speed he's a really good four checker uh he has a nose for the net he loves to get around into those dirty kind of areas alex when you think into next year and what the offense could look like i mean if you added somebody such as uh ross colton you've got your top nine basically laid out for you sod thomas not necessarily in this order but these not are the probably the nine sod thomas kairu captain and buchnevich and probably ross colton uh, Shin, Verona, Neighbors. There's your top nine forwards going into the season. You have a fourth nine that includes something along the lines of Torpchenko, Blay, Alexandrov, maybe. Maybe you put Walker down there. You've got guys that could fit into that mix. That's pretty good. Yeah, It's pretty good. It's not, it's not perfect. You've got some liabilities there defensively for sure, but in terms of goal scoring, if they're following the league's trends and you've got a guy in Ross Colton who scored, what is it, 38 goals over the last two seasons combined? You're finding yourself to be in a pretty good spot right there with those forward lines. Yeah, I mean, right now, the team's sole focus is trying to... De- well, first, it's deciding if they need a center or a winger. And that's obviously... I, I think that's probably already decided by them. We, of course, don't know the conversations that Doug Armstrong had with Pavel Buchnevich, but I would imagine that's the main focus. And if it is a centerman, this is the centerman that you want. A guy who can play all areas, a guy that can be versatile for you, because think of the guys that they've had in the past with success. Barbashev, Bozak, Nola Chari. They want guys who can play in your first line and your fourth line and still be effective. That's our Ross Colton. The other piece that I find very important, what Eric said, and it can't be glossed over, is he shoots the puck wherever he is. Because the one thing Doug said at the exit interviews was we had issues shooting or hitting the net. We had practices that we got lackadaisical of we just fell into the norm of missing the net and it carried over in a game. So you know what their shots on goal per game were last season? Bad. They were 27th in the National Hockey League. They were averaging 28 and a half shots on goal. You know what the best team in the league was? 36.8 shots on goal. You've got to change that. How do you change that? Guys who are unafraid to shoot the puck. You did that with Verona. You did it with Kapanen. You're going to have to get your defense involved more because they're going to be a piece of it. 
But that's where the Ross Colton effect comes into play. If I told you that you could have not last year's version, but the year prior, 2021-22 version of Ivan Barbashev back with the St. Louis Blues, but you could have him for $3 million. And oh, by the way, he's significantly better on the faceoff dot. Um, he's now going to win at a 52-53% rate as opposed to winning about 40% of the faceoffs that he ends up taking. You'd sign up for that, right? Absolutely. And would you say that that is enough to at least get you into the mix as a potential playoff team? Yeah, I, I, it puts you it puts you above the bubble teams that were this year. I think that's Ross, Ross Colton. Yeah, I think that's basically what you're looking at. I don't know that he'll get to 25 goals, but I think he's got a very decent chance to do so if he's getting the ice time that he would here in St. Louis. I don't know. The 60 points is probably a little tougher. He's not the distributor yeah. that Ivan Barbashev was. Unless you're playing with guys who can score goals. And, and that's what he wasn't doing in Tampa. And if you have somebody like uh, Yakub Vrana, for example, on his line, that could be a pretty compelling conversation or, or uh, if, combination. Or if going he's into playing with year. Jordan Cairo. I mean, if you're talking top six, Cairo could be playing with something like sure. that or a Pavel Buchnevich or Brandon Saad. Like, you've got guys who can score goals on this team. What you don't have are guys who can go to the front of the net and create play. You don't have guys who drive play effectively. Somebody says we need face-off help tremendously still, I think. Got that, it. And that's where Ross Colton comes in. He yep. wins about... He, last year was 56% for his career, 52% on the dot. And, that would immediately be the best on the Blues. And that's why I, I've gotten away from the Alexis Lafreniere, Capo Caco. You know, you brought up Sam Bennett. I've gotten away from that because you need face-off help Agreed. tremendously. And that I don't believe that... Pavel Buchnevich is going to be that face-off help. I think outside is going to be face-off help. If they're looking for a center, a true center, not a guy that has position flexibility, but a guy that is a centerman from the moment that he walks into the, the room, Ross Colton's our yep. best option available going into the offseason. Absolutely. And barring something unforeseen. We'll hit the rewind coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley. Hey, later tonight, you can join me at Cybergs in O'Fallon, Illinois. I'll be there from 4 to 6 o'clock. You'll have a chance to win a four-pack of premium seats for the Scott Air Force Base Air Show, courtesy of Budweiser. It's back on Saturday and Sunday at Scott Air Force Base featuring the U.S. Navy's Blue Angels. If you join me tonight between 4 and 6 o'clock, you'll have a chance to win a four-pack of reserve seats in an exclusive viewing area. You must be 21 or older. Hope to see you tonight at Cybergs in O'Fallon, Illinois. Again, I'll be there from 4 to 6 o'clock. Sorry, Tanner, you can't yeah, not old enough, buddy. Um, guys, I did want to bring up one final thing before we hand things off over to the fast lane coming up at 2 o'clock. The Atlanta Braves are dealing with some serious injury issues right now with their rotation. They have two of their top starters that are going to be out for multiple months, according to some of the reports that are coming out. Max Freed and Kyle Wright, both expect to be sidelined for at least two months. That basically means they are definitely out until at least the All-Star break. And for um, Kyle Wright, he said he's going to be out longer than Max Fried will be. So I'm guessing we're talking like August at the earliest for Kyle Wright to be back for them. That is a big blow to their rotation. And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up is because 
there are very few teams that are more aggressive than the Atlanta Braves. So if there is any team that would make a, an early trade, it is them. If there is any need that they have now, it is starting pitching without a doubt. This is something worth monitoring as a Cardinals fan. Because if they don't make a move for a starting pitcher, it probably signifies that there is no move to be made. And that shows you that even if John Mosellock wanted to be aggressive right now, there may be no opportunities to do so. But if they make a move, that's what I was going to say. And the Cardinals could have potentially had that move and they decide not to. Oh boy, that is when Cardinals fans are going to lose their minds. And they should be because that's what contenders do when there's a issue. They approach it immediately rather than say, well, let's wait till the trade deadline and see what happens. Yeah, and this is uh, this is the team that would make something like that happen. Cardinals off tonight. We are excited to be back with you guys tomorrow. The fast lane's coming up from 2 to 6 for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.